get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone. A happy golden morning in St. Louis. And welcome to Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, good morning. Good morning, Randy. Welcome back. It's great to have you back in studio. Hey, and I'm, I'm back for the duration now. For the rest of 2021, I am here in this chair every single morning. We got a lot of texts last week being like, is Randy okay? He's been out a lot lately. And I told everyone, yes, Randy is just such a diligent worker that he didn't take vacation for basically a <laughs> calendar year and he realized that he had a lot of days off that he needed to burn. That's exactly what it was. So yeah, it was like late September. I, I'm filling out my timesheet and I said, oh, I, should, I should go see how much uh, vacation time I have left by the end of the year. And I get there and it's like 206 hours and we can only carry over 80. So I had to use like more than 100 hours of vacation time and I didn't want to use it in the bad weather. Yeah. So I thought, oh, I'll, I'll use it in the decent weather. So that's what happened. That's, that's why I was out, but I'm back and glad to be here. If you don't use it, you lose it. And I hope that you got to play some golf while you were on vacation because we had some great weather days. Yeah, we, uh, I was very lucky. So I'm very, very happy with it. Nice. I mentioned a golden morning in St. Louis because the Cardinals with a record five gold glove winners announced last night in the National League. The Cardinal uh, Cardinals that uh, were honored. Third baseman Nolan Arenado, second baseman Tommy Edmond, first baseman Paul Goldschmidt, left fielder Tyler O'Neill, and center fielder Harrison Bader. What a remarkable number of Cardinals, a record number of Cardinals winning the gold glove. And I'm not surprised by any of the five, but I was, I guess I was by Tommy Edmond, because you figure that Colton Wong has that locked in now after winning two in a row. I was surprised. We knew that the Cardinals had an elite defense and that it was among the best, if not the best in baseball, depending on which metrics you looked at. But I always, Randy, kind of assumed that when these things are handed out, that there's going to be somebody that says, we can't give this many to the yep. Cardinals. We, we need to even this out a little bit more and make sure that other teams are being represented. Even if you look at the individual battles, all of the Cardinals are deserving in one way or, or the other. But I was a little bit surprised by Tommy Edmund, but I think we've we figured Goldie and Arenado were locks. Tyler certainly had a great case mm-hmm. to repeat as the gold glove winner in left field. Harrison Bader had an unbelievable season in center field. He, he actually led National League center field fielders with 15 dis- defensive runs saved, so I figured he had a great case as well. Um, but to have five guys walk away with gold glove awards really speaks to the caliber of this defense. And do you think, Randy, that Yadier Molina is a little angry? I would think so, yeah. Out of the Cardinals contingent, he's the one that doesn't get the nod. <laughs> right. Six finalists, five winners. Yadi is beaten out by Jacob Stallings, the catcher for the uh, 
Pirates. Pittsburgh Pirates. Atlanta has a couple. Adam Duvall, who came over from the Marlins. Uh, he wins in right field. And the National League Gold Glove winning pitcher is Max Fried of the Braves. So the, the world champions get a couple. Cardinals get five and the Pirates get one. By the way, Adam, uh, Harrison Bader last night made his way back into New York City. He was at his parents' house when the announcement was made. But he's got a workout this morning and talked to some of the media last night. He also spoke to ESPN about being one of the five to win. It's amazing. You know, being around guys who just are on the same, you know, wavelength with you and the way you think and the way you go about your business is just so special. That's why that clubhouse is really so special and why we had a lot of success. Obviously, we didn't end up, you know, where we wanted to be. But, you know, our track record the past few years and the core we have, and, you know, we're so close. And again, and just a lot of it's about timing and the personnel we have from the players, but also the coaching staff. Everybody's on the same way of life. We're surrounded by you know, all positive energy. We're all moving in the right direction together. So, you know, it's just, uh, it's, you know, to be around that talent, especially on the defensive side, I mean, it's amazing. I couldn't, couldn't imagine any other way. The Cardinals got away from good defense in the last year or so under Mike Matheny for whatever reason. Players obviously have a lot to do with that. I'm interested to see what happens now under Oliver Marmol and with Mike Schilt gone. And by the way, Skip Schumacher coming in as the bench coach and a guy who really cares about defense and played at a high level. He, he was a great center fielder, a good second baseman who had never played second base before. So I'm going to give him a high level at second base. I'm going to give Skip that. I'm interested to see if they'll be able to maintain this. I see no reason why they shouldn't. Well, it is a, a a testament to Mike Schilt, though, and what he was able to do with this Cardinals defense. We know that this is something that was kind of a calling card of his, that fundamentals were very important to him. Attention to detail was very important to him. So it is going to be interesting to see if that shifts at all. But with the personnel remaining the same, and we know their talent level and what they're capable of, I can't imagine we'll see a defensive drop-off by any means. But I did want to go back quickly to what Harrison Bader was saying about everyone being on the same wave- wavelength. That is very rare and very special for you to have a collection of talent like this where everyone is on the same level and you can trust the guys around you and you can anticipate what they're going to do and not have any sort of fear that there's a weak link and you may have to cover for someone else. And if you're a pitcher, imagine what that feels Mm -hmm. like to know that you have this quality defense behind you and that if the ball is put into play, you're confident that they're going to be able to handle their business. They work at it and not every team does. Even the Cardinals don't take infield a lot, but clearly they're working at their craft and not every player is willing to do that defensively in baseball this year. By the way, I didn't mention Brandon Crawford. He was the shortstop in the National League from the Giants. If you were watching the Blues last night and you figured, okay, 13 (laughs) seconds in, we got a goal. I can go away. I can uh, watch something else. Yeah. Uh, You missed the Ducks comeback. They wound up with an empty netter. They beat the Blues by a score of four to one. The Blues missing about a half dozen guys due to COVID reasons Mm -hmm. and a 4-1 loss in Anaheim, and the, the Ducks are they're not an uber-talented team, but they're playing well together. They're playing a good solid game. They got great goaltending from John Gibson, and they beat the Blues 4-1. to They did. They, it's their fourth straight win all at home, and I didn't think that we were going to say that they had great goaltending by Gibson, especially early no. on, as you <laughs> mentioned, with Brandon Saad less than a minute into the game, putting the Blues on the board. Gosh, it feels like he was with the Blues forever. I mean, there mm-hmm. there's no let's get comfortable in my new home period for Brandon Saad, even with the disruption because of the COVID list. He seemed
seemingly fits right in to this team. But you're right. The way that the Blues were playing early on, if you were watching, Clem Costin hitting some posts, you're thinking, oh, mm-hmm. they're going to take this game easy. I can go to bed. It's Sunday night. I got to get ready for the week. You missed a, f- a furious rally by the Ducks in the third period. Yeah, they did a good job. And the Blues will go to Winnipeg and take on the Jets, the disappointing Jets. Tomorrow night, we'll have the pregame for you at 6 with the action at 7 here on 101 ESPN. Football yesterday, the Arizona Cardinals, and we'll talk about them at the bottom of the hour here, but they're now 8-1, and one, Michelle. They have the best record in the NFL. Nobody else has only one loss. They're legit. They beat San Francisco yesterday, and they did it without their starting quarterback. They did it without a couple of receivers. They beat San Francisco 31-17. They really are legit. Yeah, think about that, that they beat the San Francisco 49ers without Kyler Murray. Just even without missing anyone else, if you think that the Arizona Cardinals are missing their starting quarterback and an MVP caliber quarterback in Kyler Murray, you think, ah, the 49ers, even with some of the issues that they have, they'll be able to handle the Cardinals. And the Cardinals took care of business, 31-17. So we'll give the Cardinals some love. I don't know that they'll get national love today because you do have the Jordan Love versus Patrick Mahomes game and you have the Cowboys getting drilled and if people wanted to spend the day talking about the Cowboys getting drilled we're on board I'm also fine if people want to spend the day talking about the Rams losing. Oh, we yeah, that, Michelle. And to the Tennessee Titans, the Derrick Henry-less Tennessee Titans. <laughs> uh, I mean, if people want to spend the day talking about that, you and I are completely fine with it. They did it, as you mentioned, without Derrick Henry. They did it by overwhelming the Rams' offensive line early. And, Michelle, this was one of those games where... It's kind of like the old football Cardinal games. I was looking at the stats this morning of the Rams and uh, and Titans. And let me just run down some of the team stats for you. Because if you look at the team stats, you're thinking, okay, there's no way the Arizona Cardinals lost this game. Okay? Arizona, first downs, they lead, they, they out first down Tennessee 22 to 16. Oh, wait, you mean the Rams? The Rams did, yeah, over the Titans. Uh Total plays, 74-56 Rams. Total yards, 347-194 Rams. Uh, Yards per play, 4.7 for the Rams, 3.5 for the Titans. Passing, 253 yards for the Rams, 125 for the Titans. Rushing, 94 for the Rams, 69 for the Titans. But then you get to the bottom, and this is why the football Cardinals always lose, because the football Cardinals would always lose, and you'd look at the scoreboard at the end of the game as you were walking out of the stadium saying, how did they lose that? Well, fourth, uh, third down percentage, it went uh, in the, well, let's start with turnovers. Rams turned it over twice. Titans turned it over once. Uh, third down percentage, the Rams were, let's see, one of, well, I had the third down percentage. I let it go. But anyway, turnovers, penalties, that's how you lose games. Uh, red zone, here's where we go. Rams were one of three in the red zone. Titans were three of three. Penalties, four for 19 for the Titans, 12 for 115 for the Rams. And turnovers, two for the Rams, two big interceptions by Matthew Stafford, and one for the Titans. It all comes down, ultimately, to those things at the bottom of the stats that cause you to lose games. And that's what happened to the L.A. Rams last night. Mm, sad. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling for them. No doubt about it. (laughs) But uh, I was watching the game uh, after the Blues game ended. And uh, Katie, my daughter, said, I'm not mad that they went to the highlighter yellow. The the, the pants look good. So they got that going for them, which is nice. You think the pants look good? Yeah. Yeah, I do. 
I think those uniforms are terrible. Whatever iteration of them you're going to see, I think they're terrible. They look, okay, the numbers are glued on like a sixth grade team. I will give you that. And yes, the jerseys are ugly and the helmets are stupid, but <laughs> the pants are nice. All of it just reeks of trying too hard, in my opinion. Yeah, that's kind of what they are. Yeah. And tonight we have Monday Night Football, a thriller, Bears and Steelers here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> thriller. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up next, get your text into your comfort service. Text line 65780. Start one, bench one, cut one on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle is here. Emily is here. I'm Randy. And we want you to play with us. Start one, bench one, cut one. All right, Michelle. Start one, bench one, cut one, gold glove edition. Okay. Arenados, Goldies, and Edmonds. Ooh. Well, just this specific crop of gold gloves? Yes. Okay, this is not player that no. we're judging here. No. Okay, well then I'm going to go ahead and start Tommy Edmond because you'll never forget your first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other two are kind of just a toss-up. They're they're tied for first or tied for second, I guess, for me. Um, I think I'll bench Nolan Arenado's just because of the streak. And then uh, I'll have to cut Goldie's, even though it's he was remarkable this season. I hate this one, Randy, because I don't want to cut any of these. I'm doing it the same way. I also think that playing the middle infield and leading second baseman in defensive runs saved is such a big deal. Second base to me is a bigger position than first or third. So I'm also going to start Tommy Edmond. I'm also going to bench, bench Aronado for the exact same reason, because of the streak, nine for nine. You want to keep that going, make That's it right. 10 for 10 next year. And then Goldie. Spectacular defense. He improved the defense. If you can find one singular guy that has changed the fortunes of the Cardinal defense over the last few years, it is Paul Goldschmidt. But because of the the notations of the first two, I'm also going to cut Goldies. Randy, mine is going to be NFL quarterbacks who at one point were sensational and highly touted, but have had some struggles this season. Start one, bench one, cut one. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield. Okay. I am going to... I'm still going to start Patrick Mahomes. He's been to the last two Super Bowls. Mm -hmm. Josh Allen, before yesterday, and yes, he only put up six against Jacksonville, but Josh Allen was in the conversation, at least, for MVP this year. And then Baker Mayfield... I kind of feel better about Baker Mayfield now after this whole week. I think he showed great leadership in the whole OBJ situation. A lot of drama. Yeah, and they overcame it, and they beat a rival in an important game and will probably go back to the playoffs this year. I am going to cut Baker Mayfield even though I don't want to, and that's why we play this game is because it's supposed to be tough. (laughs) But I'm going to start Mahomes, bench Allen, and cut Mayfield. 
So this one's difficult for me because I don't know when the cutoff is of what we're watching in real time and what we've seen in the past when it comes to Patrick Mahomes. Because if you're a Chiefs fan or you're an observer of football and you're watching Patrick Mahomes, this is not the same Patrick Mahomes by any stretch of the imagination. You know the guy who's been to the past two Super Bowls is in there. You know the guy who can pull a rabbit out of his hat and seemingly any situation is in there. He is not on the field right now. And I think if I'm looking at this crop of quarterbacks right now Mm -hmm. and I'm making a decision about who I want right now, I think I'm starting Josh Allen. (laughs) Even though he Mm -hmm. did not play well yesterday, I still think that based on what we've seen from Patrick Mahomes this season, I might have more confidence in someone like Josh Allen right now than I do Patrick Mahomes. I get that. But I still, if if there were a game on Sunday between the Chiefs and the Bills, I would expect Patrick Mahomes to play better than Josh Allen. And, so I'm, I'm looking ahead. And if there were a game between the Chiefs and the Browns, I would still, and maybe it's stupid, but I would still expect Mahomes, I should, every game, I expect him to put up 30 points and throw three touchdown passes and be great. Yeah, this is a, a creation of his own doing. Mm-hmm. We yeah. have these expectations, these wild expectations for him based on the way that he's played throughout his career. But I think right now, if I were to pick, I would start Josh Allen, I would bench Baker Mayfield, and I would cut Patrick Mahomes. And maybe next week, I would be a fool for doing that. Right now, yeah. But I'm looking at him right now, and I have no confidence in him. It's amazing how that happens. All right, Emily, what do we have on the text line? From the 636, we'll keep with the NFL trend here. Start one, bench one, cut one. NFL running backs. Nick Chubb, Jonathan Taylor, Aaron Jones. All right. Michelle, I'm going to start Jonathan Taylor. Mm Mm-hmm. Nick Chubb had another big day yesterday. By the way, I messed up our fantasy team by taking him off and putting Ezekiel Elliott on. Sorry about that. But I am <laughs> going to I'm going to bench Nick Chubb and as great as Aaron Jones is, I'm going to cut Aaron Jones. I think I'm going to start Chubb bench Taylor cut Jones, but I don't want to cut Jones. I don't want to cut Aaron Jones. But. And if you were doing it from an all-around perspective, the guy that could catch the ball out of the backfield, then Aaron Jones starts. But production right now, and this might go to the injury on the offense, the injuries on the offensive line of the Packers, and the fact that they don't have Aaron Rodgers didn't yesterday. It's it's recency bias, but the most recent thing is that Chubb was better, and Taylor didn't. He played Thursday night, so recency bias leads us to that conclusion. From the 314, start one, bench one, cut one on what the Cardinals should add this offseason. A starting pitcher, upgraded shortstop, or a capable designated hitter. Okay, I am starting a starting pitcher because you can never have too much pitching. And after this past season with some of the injury things that the Cardinals dealt with, give me the starting pitcher. I know a lot of people out there are saying, that's crazy. Look at this crop of shortstops. It's it's an unbelievably deep and talented field, and this is an area of opportunity for the Cardinals. You should start shortstop. I'm going to bench the shortstop position, and I'm going to cut the DH. Yeah, Michelle, the way I'm going to look at this is that if the Cardinals don't add another starting pitcher, they're screwed. Okay, that's okay? a good way to phrase they, they, it. They, they got two shortstops, and they made it to the playoffs yeah. with the, those two shortstops. And, you, and you, you hope that Paul DeYoung at some point will consistently be the Paul DeYoung you thought he was, but you saw some stuff out of Edmundo Sosa that you really liked. Yeah, right. And then the DH can come from within, whether it's Nolan Gorman or moving Gorman around so that Goldie gets a 
day off now and then. O'Neal gets mm-hmm. a day off now and then. You could use De Young or, okay, designated swinger. Large newt bar, maybe. Yeah, there you go. Newt. <laughs> so I am like you. I'm going to start the starting pitcher. I'm going to bench the shortstop, and I am going to cut the DH. And we really have to look at that starting rotation because as much as we love the guys, Wainwright, 40 years old. He's going to be pitching in his year 40. Flaherty was hurt all year. Mm-hmm. Dakota Hudson was hurt all year. Alex Reyes has never been a major league starter. And then Michaelis was basically hurt all year. I mean, that's your rotation. And Reyes, fatigue at the end. Yeah, yeah. So they, I think the Cardinals should sign about three starting pitchers. (laughs) Outside of... You said it. You can never have enough. Yeah. I, I wonder what, what... they're cons- which guys they're considering. Like, are you considering Lap or excuse me, Le- Lester or Hap? I just combined those two yeah, and said Lap. No, Thank a you. Smart thing. Um, Lap. Yeah, I just gave them a benefit name for no, yeah. for no reason at all, <laughs> other than the fact that they were both acquired at the same time. Yeah. But I wonder if what you saw out of those guys is enough for the Cardinals to be considering them, or if they're looking of, of going out there and making a big splash and bringing in. A, a big name. That's just not in their DNA. I don't think so either. I would love it. See, I I just keep thinking, Randy, there's that little thing that's buzzing in the back of my brain being like, they had a shocking move when they fired Mike Schilt. And the pressure is on for them to win this year. If they were ever going to go for it, this is the year. If they were ever mm-hmm. going to empty the bank account and go out there and make some very aggressive and big money moves, this is the year. Mm-hmm. 2022 was the year that was circled to win. You have an unbelievable defensive team. You have a lot of things that you feel really good about. You're so committed to this style of play and to this philosophy that you fired a, a very good manager. And I don't. you, you have a lot to prove, mm-hmm. and the time to win is now. So will they go out and act accordingly? I don't know. Because it's not in their DNA, but if it's if they're ever going to go outside of their genetic pool, now is it. <laughs> yeah, this is it. Yeah. By the way, can we call them, if they bring the two lefties back, is Hapster okay? Do you like Lap or, or Hapster better? See, I like Hapster, but it reminds me of Napster. Oh, yeah, which is gone now. R. So, R. yeah, Lap is good. There's a lot of people out there listening the that, like me, remember the joy of ripping off a really good song from Napster and burning it oh, on the CD. Oh, and burning it onto a oh, CD. Oh, my yep. God. I remember that. And yeah. you'd go hang out with your friends. And you'd be like, Where, where'd you get this Limp Biscuit song? Napster, dude. Yep. Have you heard of Napster? Don't tell anyone because it's illegal. <laughs> But and then thank, thanks, found out Metallica. <laughs> now we have to pay for streaming. Thanks, Metallica. From the 314 Start One Bench One Cut One St. Louis Celebrities. Nelly, John Hamm, Jenna Fisher. Ooh, tough. Okay. Uh Okay, I, I got it. Okay. I got this. Okay. I'm Go. gonna start John Hamm. Because I think if you're looking at the star power of all three of these, John Hamm is the biggest star in this collection. Also, he was there consistently during the Blues run. Big part of it for me. Big part of it. Even though he shaved and a lot of us were upset, what are you doing, John? You're going to wear the same scarf every single game, but then shave your playoff beard when it matters? Still not over that. It's like touching the cup. I was just going to say, but they won, so we're over it. I would say as much as I absolutely love Jenna Fisher, you've got to bench Nelly because he put St. Louis on the music scene in a different way. Um, 
he made being from St. Louis cool. People who were listening in Arizona to country grammar were like, man, what's going on in St. Louis? It's popping out there. I love it. And so I'm going to have to cut Jenna Fisher. I'm sorry. I am going to start Nelly because he continually reps STL all the time and spends a lot of time here still. And like you said, he was the kind of the face of the franchise. As great as all the sports stuff was at the end of the, the last century, beginning of this century, he was the face, wasn't he? With You had Marshall, you had Kurt, you had McGuire, you had Edmonds, you had uh, the uh, uh, Pronger and McKinnis, and he was the face. Yeah, you had people all over the country watching the country grammar video with the arch in the background mm-hmm. and him wearing jer- those guys' jerseys in the yeah. video. You know, he made St. Louis cool. Yeah, so I'm going to start Nelly, and to his credit, still does, uh, rep St. Louis. John Hamm, clearly, because, hey, you go into the lion's den. You go into the 2016 World Series. You're wearing a Cardinals cap. John Hamm did that. Respect. Yep, big time. And then uh, Jenna Fisher... Okay, I'm like you. I love Jenna Fisher, but does she really rep St. Louis that much aside from doing commercials she gets paid for? She has been... All due respect. I will throw down for Jenna Fisher here because not only does she come to games a lot, but she stood up for St. Louis during the Stanley Cup final. She went against her TV husband and John Krasinski, who's from Boston and a Bruins fan. She was taunting him. She was smack-talking him publicly, so I respect that from Jenna Fisher. Okay. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thank you very much for your text. 65780 is our Air Comfort Service text line. Coming up next, week nine in the NFL already. We've got four downs for you next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Week nine in the NFL will conclude tonight here on 101 ESPN with the Bears taking on the Steelers. But we know that's not going to give us one of the top four downs of the weekend. You never know. I think I do. (laughs) Matt Nagy is back. Yeah, but you never know. It could be a very entertaining and interesting game. Well, you will hear it either way (laughs) because we are contractually obligated here on 101 ESPN. First down. I'm going to take this first one, Randy. So you weren't here on Friday, but after our show wrapped, there was a lot of drama surrounding Aaron Rodgers. The news came out that he had tested positive for COVID-19. Then all this other stuff comes out where he said he was immunized but not vaccinated. So people were mad at Aaron Rodgers. They were saying, you lied. You weren't following protocols. He goes on with Pat McAfee and is saying that the woke mob is coming to get him and cancel him. So there was a lot of anger surrounding Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers heading into the Packers game versus the Chiefs. And this was a perfect, and I mean perfect, opportunity for Jordan Love to come in and assert himself. We know that the Packers angered Aaron Rodgers with this pick of Jordan Love. He didn't look great the times that we saw him in the preseason, but he was playing a very beatable and a very vulnerable Chiefs team. And you could have won that game, but the headline would still be Jordan Love beats Patrick Mahomes in his NFL debut. The Packers win without Aaron Rodgers. That's not what happened, Randy. That's not what happened. Jordan Love had, had a tough game for the Packers. He couldn't really get any explosive plays downfield. He couldn't really connect with Devontae Adams. He didn't have a great game. He was 19 of 34, 190 yards, a touchdown and an interception. He wasn't terrible, but he wasn't great. And the Packers end up losing to the Kansas City Chiefs 13 to seven the dream is dashed for Jordan Love to make a statement and in uh his first game in 
a Packers uniform coming in for Aaron Rodgers. But I just thought that the headline was there. He could have done it, and he did. Yeah, he could have. And there was a lot of consternation last night about Jordan Love. So I went back and looked at Aaron Rodgers' first year. And Aaron Rodgers' fourth start against a Tampa Bay team that was nearly as good as the Chiefs. Aaron Rodgers, 14 of 27 for 165 and three picks. It happens, and it's not easy to start in the NFL. Not easy to start a game. Not easy to start a first game. Not easy to start a first game on the road. And not easy to start a first game on the road in the loudest venue in the NFL. And by the way, Matt LaFleur, credit to him, took blame for that performance. Not great for Jordan Love, but I thought that he actually showed some physical skills. And I wonder if the game slows down for him a little bit, if he might wind up being pretty good. Hard, hardest thing to do is to scout an, uh, an NFL quarterback, isn't it? You'd think it would be the easiest thing to do, but clearly people who are very good at their jobs and get paid a lot of money to evaluate these guys can't seem to get it right. Second down. Michelle, one guy they didn't get it right on, the 32nd pick back in 2018, Lamar Jackson. <laughs> Yesterday, near halftime against the Vikings, Lamar had led his club to three points. And with 23 seconds left in the first half, he was 7 of 16 for 60 yards, no touchdowns and an interception. His team was down 17 to 3. By the time overtime was complete... Lamar had gone 27 to 41, passed for 266 and three touchdowns. He also had 120 yard rushing yards, and the Ravens won the game 34 31 over Minnesota. Jackson is the first quarterback in NFL history to have multiple career games with at least three touchdown passes and 100 rushing yards. He also did that in week 16 of 2019. He recorded his 10th career game with at least 100 rushing yards. That ties Michael Vick for the most games by a quarterback in NFL history with 100 rushing yards. One more? Yes. Well, Jackson is the first player in NFL history with 2,000 passing yards and 600 rushing yards through eight games of a season. He's on pace for 4,694 passing yards, essentially 5,000 passing yards, and 1,275 rushing yards. The most rushing yards in a season with 4,500 passing yards is 444 by Deshaun Watson last year. One more Lamar note, 36-9 and nine as a starting quarterback. And he turns 25 in January. He has the most quarterback wins before the age of 25 of anybody ever. MVP? Yes, right now he is the MVP. And to think that some people wanted him to be a wide receiver. <laughs> <laughs> True. Yeah, better wide receiver. Yeah, nice nice call, Bill Polian. Tough, tough to scout quarterbacks. Really is, but he is electric. Lamar Jackson is something. He really he's is. Really he's, he's a special talent. Third down. Well, let's, Randy, go to the Buffalo Bills-Jacksonville Jaguars game, a.k.a. the Josh Allen game. 2018 NFL Draft, number seven overall pick, Josh Allen, 6'5", quarterback, Buffalo Bills. Let's go to the 2019 NFL Draft, number seven overall pick, Josh Allen, 6'5", <laughs> defensive end, goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And this was a battle of Josh Allen's. And let me tell you, one Josh Allen got the best of the other Josh Allen in this game. Let's go to the second quarter. Um, some pressure on quarterback Josh Allen and defensive end Josh Allen wins this battle. same name as the opposing quarterback has recorded a sack. 
But Josh Allen wasn't done. Josh Allen, the quarterback, has some pressure later in the game. He throws wildly. Guess who's there? Bills trying to pick it up. They can't. Allen throws. Intercepted. It's Josh Allen. Intercepting Josh Allen. First career interception for Josh Allen. Josh Allen wasn't done either, Randy. When Josh Allen made a mistake in this game, Josh Allen was there to capitalize (laughs) on those mistakes. Fourth quarter, Josh Allen, the quarterback, fumbles. Guess what? I'm sure you can guess by now. Another guy, Josh Allen, was there to clean up the mess. Allen keeps it himself, runs right into DeJuan Smoot. The Jaguars come away with it. All indications were that Josh Allen was down, and now the other Josh Allen has the football. (laughs) Can you imagine calling that game? That's awesome. So Josh Allen got the best of Josh Allen yesterday as the Jacksonville Jaguars beat the Buffalo Bills 9-6. to And I don't even think Urban Meyer could believe that the Jaguars were able to pull off that win yesterday. But it was just it was the first time in NFL history that this happened, as you heard on the calls. But it was wildly entertaining to watch that game and watch Josh Allen defensive end Jacksonville Jaguars have a day versus Josh Allen quarterback Buffalo Bills. What a great story. And it's one thing to have two guys that have the same name that are the same height, but they're both really good players, too. And same draft pick. Yeah, that's <laughs> remarkable. That's very cool. Fourth down. Uh, Michelle, the Arizona Cardinals, they're for real. <laughs> so they go to San Francisco. Their quarterback and MVP candidate, Kyler Murray, out with an ankle injury. Colt McCoy, who was taken in the same draft as Sam Bradford, is their starting quarterback. Oh, my goodness. Top wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins out with an ankle, or a hamstring, rather. A.J. Green out with COVID. So they're missing their quarterback and their two starting wide receivers. Running back Chase Edmonds out with a bad shoulder. No J.J. Watt. Guard Justin Pugh. Linebacker Zayvon Collins. Both compromised by injury. And on the road, they pound the 49ers 31-17. James Conner with two rushing touchdowns and a 45-yard TD reception from McCoy at 8-1. The Cardinals have the best record in the league. Their next four against the Panthers at the Seahawks, the Rams at home. They already beat the Rams in L.A. And then the Lions. The Arizona Cardinals could get to 12-1 and and have home field throughout the playoffs. You think they could win the Super Bowl? I think they can. I think they can, too, especially after this weekend. You you have that sort of a performance without Kyler Murray and mm-hmm. DeAndre Hopkins. You're a really good football team. Yeah, and I would love to see them win the NFC West after the Rams have gone all in here. Wouldn't that be fun to see them win the NFC West? Wouldn't it be fun to see another NFC West team in the Super Bowl in SoFi oh, Stadium? Yeah. Especially another former St. Louis team Ooh. that we like. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. That would be fun. (laughs) Those are four downs on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. Take it or leave it is coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service. Text line 65780. Take it or leave it on 101 ESPN. Michelle, Randy, and Emily with you. And Michelle, did you see yesterday Jordan Love, first-round quarterback, Mm -hmm. making his first start in the NFL, and his mom and his girlfriend are in the upper seat of the upper deck of the end zone at Arrowhead Stadium. Very last row. Take it or leave it. First-round quarterback should have gone to StubHub and gotten mom and girlfriend better seats. I'll go ahead and take that. Yeah. 
I would also think that the, the Chiefs would have hooked them up with some better seats. A little bit better than that, yeah. But yeah, if I'm Jordan Love, I would at least kick him some binoculars or something so they could no get a better view yeah, of my debut. If, if he's looking in the stands for them, he's not finding them. Oh, wait, where are they? <laughs> All the way up there? Do you think they didn't realize exactly where the seats were until game time? You can't imagine that you're in the very top row until you get up there. But shout out to the television crew for being able to find them. Yeah, they got good cameras. <laughs> yeah, they did. No, that was, that was embarrassing. That yeah. was... They should have been in a better position. Than I would that. say so. Yeah, for sure. Um, Randy, we know that, as you mentioned off the top of the show, it's a golden golden morning here in St. Louis. Cardinals having a record-breaking five gold glove winners last night. Take it or leave it. In 2022, it's a sweep for the Cardinals outfielders when it comes to gold glove awards. I'm going to take that. Yes, Dylan Carlson needs to step up. And by the way, Mildly surprised that Mookie Betts, I know he missed some time, but Mookie Betts not winning a gold glove, that's kind of an upset. I I had my money on him. And and so Adam Duvall does get it. But yeah, I'm going to say that Dylan Carlson is a really good defensive outfielder. He He winds up getting a gold glove, and now the the die has been set for O'Neal and Bader to win every year. All right, Emily, what do you got for us? From the 573, take it or leave it, the Cardinals will break their own 2021 gold glove record by winning at least six in 2022. They well, have we'll to go agree. ahead and take that because we just said Dylan Carlson's going to win. Yeah, we know that Arenado's going to win. I feel really good about Edmund, but I think if if Wonger plays a full season, it'll be a battle. But because Edmund won this year. Also try this on for size. Yadier Molina's final season. True. Yep. And the, the other thing about the Cardinal infielders is that they do have Goldie at first. Goldie makes them all better. Anthony Rizzo, if he stays out of the league, being out of the league is a big advantage for Goldie and the rest of the Cardinal infield to win gold gloves. From the 719, take it or leave it, Yadier Molina is underrated across the country, but overrated in St. Louis. I'm going to leave that. I'll take the first part. I think he's underrated Mm -hmm. across the country, but I don't think he's overrated in St. Louis. He's one of the best players to ever play that position in history. How can you consider him overrated? There's too many people that have been around the sport, whether spending a little bit of time or a lot of time with him, that say he's the best. It's one thing for Tony La Russa or Adam Wainwright. It's another thing altogether for John Smoltz who spent two months with him or Johnny Bench Mm -hmm. who watches him from afar to say he's the best catcher. Leland to say that he Leland had Pudge Rodriguez for those guys to say, yeah, he's the best ever. Pretty telling, I think. Listening to Ted Simmons talk about Yadier mm-hmm. Molina was so enlightening for me because when when you have someone like that who's a Hall of Famer who is saying not only is he one of the best catchers in history, but he is occupying like five different positions yeah. on the field at one time. His greatness is not just in what he's capable of as a catcher. It's the way that he controls the game from so many different aspects from a, an observational or decision-making standpoint. He's one of the best to ever do it in baseball, so I don't think you can consider him overrated, but I do think that he does not get enough love nationally. And part of that is that teams just quit trying to run against the Cardinals. About three or four years into his career, they just said, nah, we aren't even going to bother anymore. And I believe in his career, the stolen base attempts against the Cardinals have like 600 fewer than the next fewest team. Wow. From the 314, take it or leave it, you'd like to see the Cardinals make a run at Marcus Stroman. I'm going to 
First of all, I believe he wants to stay with the Mets, and I believe they provided him a qualifying offer, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, they, they need starting pitching. Mm-hmm. If that's the guy, then yeah, I would absolutely take him. I would take it too. I hope that they're very active in the starting pitching market. I hope that they're, I'm sure they are doing their due diligence, looking at every possible option out there. But yeah, I would definitely be intrigued by that. The Mets, by the way, extended qualifying offers to Noah Syndergaard and Michael Conforto. But not, not Stroman. Stroman. Yeah, so then, yeah, I, w- I would absolutely take that shot. From the 314, take it or leave it. The time change is worse than a 930 West Coast start. Leave it. Mm. You gained an hour. Why are you complaining? But it gets dark so early. That's going to happen. So it was already depressing. getting dark early, Michelle. At least if it's a, it's a late West Coast start, that's one night that you have to stay up late and be groggy and miserable the next day. We're talking months, Randy, that is affected by the time change. Well, your days are getting shorter anyway, though. There's nothing you can do about it. But it stinks. I know it stinks, but the time change isn't... Uh, to me, this is my personal opinion, the time change isn't as big an issue as the fact that you just have shorter days. Shorter uh, days of less sunshine. But we're, either way, we're still dealing with a bigger body of work here as opposed to one that's, West Coast That's game. true. But at the end of the day, what happens is winter arrives. So and stupid. Winter's stupid. There you so go. Stupid. Hashtag winter stupid. It is stupid. <laughs> From the 314, take it or leave it. Deion Sanders should consider the USC job. Yeah, I'll take that, man. He's having an unbelievable time at Jackson State. I think they're eight and one. And if you want... A celebrity, if you want someone that is going to command a room when he walks in and put butts in seats, and I can't imagine that he would not get into some rooms from a recruiting standpoint Absolutely. that other coaches wouldn't because parents want to have prime time in their living room or whatever it is now, Zoom, who knows the way that they're recruiting mm-hmm. these days. But if I'm USC, one of the criteria that I have is I'm I'm looking for someone that I think can win first and foremost, but I also want star power. USC is a program in Hollywood that needs star power. Right. Think about when Pete Carroll was at USC. Yes, they were an unbelievable team, but there were all sorts of athletes and celebrities on the sideline. Yeah. It, it was the place to be, and USC needs to get back to that. Jackson State 8-1, and one, and in the SWAC, they have the best overall record and 6-0 and oh in the conference. There are two teams that are 6-0 and oh in the uh, Southwestern Athletic Conference, and he's got one of them. If Dion goes to USC, you can almost take it to the bank. There's going to be some sort of hard knocks type show about mm-hmm. them. I mean, I, I think he has a Barstool sh- show about him now uh, in his coaching life. But there's going to be all sorts of coverage about him. That would be a great hire. All right, we'll get to one more real quick from the 314. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals go after Justin Verlander. I'll leave that. I'll leave it, too. And it's not because of the quality of his pitching, but it's because... He's another of what they have. Age and money. <laughs> and, and injured. Yeah, and injured. Coming Good off point. of Tommy John. Mm-hmm. Now, Tommy John usually works, but Brad Thompson's going to join us at 9.15. Didn't work for him. It doesn't work for everybody. And I don't know that the card. I do know that the Cardinals are not going to give a bunch of guaranteed money to a guy that they don't know that's coming off of Tommy John. They, would they sign him to a lesser contract? Yes. But somebody yesterday, I think it was on MLB.com, predicted that the Giants would sign both Scherzer and Verlander. I saw that they had predicted that Scherzer would go there. I didn't see Scherzer and Verlander. Wow. Yeah, they got a lot of money coming off the books with Buster's retirement Mm -hmm. so they could pull it off. 
be interesting. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up next, the Cardinals have five gold glove winners. Which of those five should win the platinum glove? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Ground ball, diving play by Edmund. Oh, what a play. And a diving stop from his knees. Oh, he's done it again. He has done it again. Shallow center coming on Bader. Oh, he got it. What a catch. Harrison Bader. Oh, my goodness. Hanging breaking ball, lifted to left, racing in. O'Neal's got it! What a catch, Tyler O'Neal! Danny Mack had the great calls on Bally over the course of the summer as the Cardinals collected a record five gold gloves. Five gold glove winners from one team never happened in baseball before. It's 8.04. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And Michelle, beyond the fact that the Cardinals had the five gold glovers, their team defense was remarkable. They led the major leagues in defensive runs saved with 86. That's eight more than the next closest team. Nine-time award Award winner Yachty announced as a finalist on October 28th. He finished in the top three in NL catcher. So the Cardinals not only had the five winners, but they had another gold glove finalist. And right now, people can go to Rawlings.com and vote on the Platinum Glove Award winner. And each league has a Platinum Glove winner. And that's the best defensive player. And Emily knows this better than I. Is there just one Platinum Glove Award winner in all of baseball, or does each league have one? I think there's two, yeah. Okay, so so you have one in the American, one in the National. And if you're going to pick your Platinum winner from among this group of five Cardinal winners, who are you going with? You could make an argument for any of these guys. You could. But I think if I'm picking one guy who I think defensively rises to the top. You got to go with Nolan Arnato, who's won the Platinum Glove several times before. But what he does, and you heard Danny Mack say he's done it again. What he does game in and game out is he makes the outrageous plays look easy. He's so good <laughs> at what he does. He is He's honed his craft to, to such a degree that... You see the outrageous plays, the over-the-shoulder plays, the diving plays, but some of the plays that have a very high degree of difficulty, he makes look so easy. So if I had to cast my vote for one of these guys, even though, like I said, you could make the argument for any of them, I'm going Arnato. I am going to go a little bit different. I believe that Arenado has a challenger in baseball. I think Manny Machado. You, you could make an argument that Manny Machado on some days is is close to Arenado. I don't think, Michelle, that there's a center fielder that's close to Harrison Bader. I think he's far and away the best defensive center fielder, which is the most important outfield position. He led all NL outfielders with 15 defensive runs saved, 14 outs above average, 
his 11 four and five star catches to find his catches with probabilities of less than 50% of being made. He had 11 of those. That was fourth among all major league outfielders. And remember, he missed a month with the, the right. rib injury. He's the first Cardinal center fielder, obviously, to win a gold glove since Jim Edmonds in 2005. I think if I were going to go with a platinum glove nominee, if I were going to vote for a guy when I go to Rawlings.com, I think I'm going to vote for Harrison Bader. And this is with the knowledge, it's not even the opinion, the knowledge that Arenado is the best. I just made the point that whether it's him or Olsen in the American League, there are guys that I think are close to Arenado. I don't think there's anybody close to Harrison Bader. Arenado has done this for so many years that he is the standard. Harrison Bader is on his way to being that. He could be that. When you're looking at his career, he could be what Nolan Arenado is from a defensive standpoint. He could be the standard. He's that good. Yeah, he, he's remarkable. And Tyler O'Neill, really, really strong. I, I can't give him a platinum glove. I think he's great. I think he's clearly the best defensive left fielder. You look at the left fielders in the National League. Left field is kind of a throwaway position. Cardinals won a World Series with Lonnie Smith playing left. The Red Sox won with Manny Ramirez playing left. But the Cardinals put an emphasis on it, put a really good defensive outfielder out there. And O'Neill is clearly the best left fielder in the National League. And there is competition for Edmund from a former Cardinal of all things. And Goldie, I think with Rizzo out of the league, do you agree with me that Goldie is with Freeman? I, I believe he's better than Freeman. Mm-hmm. I think Goldie is the preeminent guy now in the National League Agreed. at first base. He's outstanding. Also, I think just a, a quick sidebar. We've done this a little bit, but do you think the Cardinals deserve a little bit more credit again this morning for sticking with these outfielders? Because... It was a long path to get here. They had to kick a lot of guys off the carousel mm-hmm. before they arrived at these three players. But if Dylan Carlson is the is the quote weakest link in your outfield, I think you made a pr- some pretty good selections in sticking with Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, and Dylan Carlson. And the sky's the limit for Dylan Carlson in his career. But the Cardinals took a lot of heat moving on from Randy Arozarena. We could go through the list. We've done it before. But to think that we're talking about Harrison Bader potentially winning a, a platinum glove, that he's that good. Defensively, Tyler O'Neill. You look at Tyler O'Neill. You know you're going to get the power, the Canadian bacon bombs. You you know you're going to get that from him. I'm still amazed that he's that good defensively and the speed that he possesses. He's an unbelievable talent. And like we mentioned, Dylan Carlson has that as well. So just a quick aside, a shout out to the Cardinals front office for seemingly making the right decisions with their outfielders. We had a segment after game 81. What do you want to see in the second half of the season? The Cardinals weren't great at that point. But what I wanted to see was could O'Neill and Bader stay healthy and what was Dylan Carlson and I'm glad that they showed us not only that they could stay healthy but they could thrive in a scenario like this we should note by the way that Randy Rosarena finished second in the American League left fielder mm-hmm. voting and Andrew Benintendi who won in the American League in left field lives here so uh, there's St. Louis all over these gold gloves something in the water maybe yeah I think so great defense Now, the other part of this is that next year you're going to have the designated hitter in the National League. These guys, O'Neill has shown himself. I trust him offensively. I think that Harrison Bader can be a really good offensive player. He just needs to do what he did in the second half. Understand what he is. It's not just that these guys are defensively good. I look at what 
Tommy Edmond did in the second half of the season after the All-Star break as a leadoff hitter from both sides of the plate. I'm fine with Tommy Edmond being my leadoff hitter. You know what you're going to get from Goldschmidt and Arenado. So it's not just the defense here. The Cardinals don't have any glove-first guys that are winning gold gloves here. They're good all-around players. This should be a a good starting eight, hopefully starting nine. They need reinforcements. They need a better bench. But are there many better if any, better all-around groups than what the Cardinals have? No, which is why when you look at the season in totality, it's a bit of a head-scratcher because this is a really good group. And I know some of these guys had to find their stride, Mm -hmm. uh, especially the outfielders, some of these young players. But when you look back on the entire season, now knowing what we know about these guys, you're like, offensively, they should have been much better or at least much much more consistent throughout the season. And maybe what we saw in the second half and down the stretch is not the outlier. Maybe that's what they were building towards and what we'll see in 22. But you certainly hope so. And it was getting healthy, right? Because yeah. you, we saw way too much of Justin Williams. We saw way too much of Carpenter playing second and Edmund in the outfield. Guys that just couldn't hit were playing for you, and that did a lot. A lot of really good teams in the National League, and obviously the Dodgers are better than anybody. They have more good players. They have a better bench. They have and the Giants are this way too. Better pitching. Cardinals have a lot of work to do beyond that starting eight, but I think you can win with the starting eight that they have. That's my point. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Blues fell 4-1 to Anaheim last night. And Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It is time for our weekly visit with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Last night, the Blues started their game in first place in the Central Division. They fell 4-1 to Anaheim, and they wake up this morning in second place. Minnesota with 16 points, the Blues with 15, although the Blues do have a game in hand, but it just shows you how quickly things change in the National Hockey League. Kerbs, good morning. How are you doing? Randy, I'm doing well. Hey, I was thinking this morning... Uh, as we, we've got you back there, and you know, and I filled in a few times for you, and I know Jeremy has, and other people have, and somehow, somehow Michelle manages to convince all of us to leave the room and end up participating in a fight, right? <laughs> and, uh, and and I, I realized this morning when I was thinking about this, and I just heard that promo for the fight, people are texting in, willing to do it, like all of us, we hated it, and yet we still did it. You love it, and then I realized, son of a gun, he's like a goalie. He likes those pucks flying at 100-plus miles an hour at your head. And I realize that, uh, you know what, really when it comes to the fight, you're kind of weird like a goalie. Curbs, do I look nervous? <laughs> I'd see that again. It's uncanny, really. I'm telling you. It's, it's, we need new T-shirts. It's no longer about Bennington. It's Randy in the fight. You're so right, Curbs. And he's got his little routine that he does every day, just like a goalie. I could absolutely see that. And by the way, thanks for being the sacrificial lamb anytime you, you fill in to do the fight. Because trivia, it's just not my thing. I try to explain to people, this segment was built around Randy. It was not built around to me <laughs> oh yeah people go hey we got a sports trivia night you want to come i'm like listen i'll bring the guacamole that's about all i'm good for <laughs> for you curbs what a great start last night brandon saw gets the goal uh the blues have a couple of opportunities costin hits a couple of posts but man after 13 seconds in john gibson you talk about goaltending he was a brick wall 
Yeah, he was. He was really good. And, you know, I think sometimes sometimes and I would encourage fans to do this when you're watching a game, even if it's a game like that, and you end up frustrated by the end of the game. Make sure you listen to, to the, the post-game show with Craig Berube, and, and whether it be on social media the Blues put out or, you know, when Alex plays it during our, our air. But, like, he was so so direct, and, and you didn't sense the frustration in Craig Berube last night like sometimes you will after other losses. And I think I think there are different degrees of losses. And you consider that game last night, and that you mentioned it, Clint Costin hit the post a couple of times. There were some other good opportunities to, you know, to tie that game. You know, and and he looked at it and said there there were a couple of mistakes made, one on an even strength goal, one on the on the power play goal given up. You know, but but there was just a matter of fact. He said, you know, I just felt that we needed to be sharper, and and I think he was right. And sometimes, you know, it, it's a long road trip. They're about to go uh, up to Winnipeg. They fly to Winnipeg today. Like there's sometimes just a lot going on, and you're just not as sharp as you needed to be. And that one cost them. But at the same time. I, I said this a lot last night. I'm giving the Anaheim Ducks credit. I haven't seen the Anaheim Ducks play with that kind of structure, you know, and, and some of that uh, all-around better team play now in a couple of years. And, and they're an improved hockey team. Curbs, David Perron played his 616th game last night as a St. Louis Blue. He ties Bobby Plager for 10th in franchise history. And it took him several stints with the Blues to get to this point. But I was thinking about this last night as I was I was watching the pregame and watching Bobby Plager's family congratulate David Perron on getting to this point. It's been pretty cool to watch in real time David Perron grow into the player that he has been, which is somebody that when we look back on his career is going to be a pretty important figure in Blues history. You know, it's funny you said that, Michelle. As I was walking in uh, to do the game last night, it it kind of hit me the, the same way in this. And I'm like, you know what? It it, it really is a terrific story. And, and I think I think David Perron as a St. Louis Blue is is even a better story than than you tend to realize. Because again, you got to remember the unique fact that here's a guy that has signed three professional contracts in the National Hockey League, and all three have been with the St. Louis Blues, and yet he's played for several different teams. He chose to come back to St. Louis twice, you know, and 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 the Blues wanted him back twice. I think, which is which is fair to note as well. And so, while it's not 616 games consecutively, it's been over what is now that 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 third stretch, and and it really feels right, doesn't it? Because he wanted to be here a couple of times. The Blues wanted him. They didn't want to lose him to Vegas in the expansion draft, you know. And yet he still went there and was part of something really special that first year. And I know such an important, memorable experience in his career that's made him a better person and a better player. But it's the, the other neat thing is when you, you mentioned Bobby and you saw Melissa and Dave and the kids, you know, say something on video to, to David. A special bond grew between Bobby and David, and I think a lot of it is because of what we just talked about, David, and that love of this town and this team and wanting to be here. And that's something that Bobby really really loved about david it's 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 a it's a great story about a player in a franchise i think curbs we talked earlier i started off by talking about how things change so quickly in the nhl and with all these covids if the blues don't get any more the next time they'll have everybody together is on the 18th of the month against san jose but Winnipeg is playing well. You're at Winnipeg tomorrow. Nashville is not a pushover like some people thought they would be. They're here on Thursday night. Carolina, one of the best teams in the league at Carolina on Saturday night. You've got Edmonton, another of the best teams in the league here on Sunday night. Man, the schedule is brutal for everybody because there's so much parity in the league. Yeah, there there really is. And, you know, you consider, like you mentioned, the fact that the Blues – 
you know, slipped into second place behind Minnesota there. And, and again, there's another team you got to give a ton of credit for. They picked up right where they left off, showing that last year kind of wasn't a bit of a fluke as, as Bill Guerin tries to turn that organization around and, and the attitude of that organization. And I, I look at it right now, and you look at Colorado that's 500 and out of the playoffs looking in. You know, if the playoffs were to start, I think Las Vegas would be outside looking in. Now, you expect that to change over the course of 82 seasons, and, and the water will find its level. But there, it is that tough, and it shows you just how hard it is to constantly win. So that's where a 7-2-1 and one start, which is the seventh time the Blues have done that in franchise history, is really important. But now, Randy, even with the, the COVID challenges that they have, they're going to have to find a way to get some wins here mm-hmm. as a top team in the league. Because the, what you don't want to have happen, and, and look, last season the Blues started 7-2-1 and one as well. But then they, because of some injuries, they struggled right as you headed into November, and then the schedule got them then, and you gave that equity right back, and that's the way I've been describing it. I just You don't want to take the, the great start and give it right back over your next 10 games by playing 500 hockey. You want to keep it going to, give, to keep the pressure on, and all of a sudden, if you can do that, you find yourselves 25, 30 games into the season, right? And then the pressure really mounts on some of those teams that are seven, eight, nine, ten 10 points behind you, you know, be, because it's just that much harder to catch up. So this is a critical week and they play every other day. Now, this is also important from a schedule standpoint. The next time they'll have two days off in between games from last night's game is going to be the Sunday and Monday after Thanksgiving. So they play every other day now against some tough teams from now until then. It's, it's really a jammed month of November, but I think one that if you can come out of it okay, you really, really set yourself up well because of your start in October. I know it's trite and cliche and maybe unfair, but this is why Jordan Bennington's making the big bucks. Oh, that's it. No, you're absolutely right. You saw what Gibson did last night for the Ducks, uh, and this is why you pay a goaltender what you're paying Jordan Bennington is there's going to be some games where – He's going to have to make some of those saves like the Nordstrom save he made in Game 7, right? That's going to be the difference in winning and losing a game against some of these top teams. And you've got to be excited. Like, like if you're a Blues fan right now, you, you're waking up going, oh, man, this is going to be an awesome week because there's going to be some great hockey, some awesome opponents, some home hockey, so you get to see it live. And, and these games matter. Like, it's intense. And that's one thing that has really changed in the National Hockey League over the last 15, 20 years is it, I mean, and it's almost crazy, isn't it? But it feels like, it feels like every game has massive playoff yeah. implications, even though you're only talking about games 10, 11, and 12. But it, they, they just feel heavy, don't they? Yeah, they do to me. And Michelle and I were talking about that earlier. Is You feel great going into an Anaheim game, especially when you get the first goal. And then it's, there's almost a level of despondence when you don't win a game. <laughs> oh, it's. It's, it's awesome to be a fan right now in the National Hockey League because of this. And, you know, part of it's parody. I think part of it is, is, just, is just how much talent you have around the league as well. But it, it's crazy. And then I've talked to players about this, too. They talk about the physical grind of a season. And in some ways for them, it's, it's as much the mental grind. And you need those days off for those breaks mentally because every game feels like, like you're talking about like a game five in the year. Right, and somebody says, "No, no, no, you can't retaliate. Maybe pick a fight there because we don't want to go on the penalty kill and potentially lose the game." And you're like, "That's game five, right? Don't you want to send them?" No, we can't afford to lose the two points. You're going, "Yeah, but it's game five. And you're like, "Never mind. You're right. It's game five. I mean, look at 
Colorado feels pressure right now, even though it's only 10 games in them and they look and see themselves in a standing. It's uh, it's awesome, but it's it's almost crazy to think it got to that point. And, and now that it did, it's, it's made every game so important and fun to watch. Curbs, there's so much truth in the saying, you don't know what you've got until it's gone. And I think that really applies to Ryan O'Reilly. You know how great and impactful he is when he's there. But I think it was just very glaring when he was not with this Blues team, what an important cog he is to this machine. So it's great that the Blues have him back. Man, 66% on faceoffs uh, prior to last night's game. I think he was another 58% last night. And and it's just so important. You just saw that competitiveness. And, you know, David Perron's numbers this season, you know, with or without Ryan O'Reilly were evident. And and the teams play all around because it shifted everybody. Just to have him back in the lineup, even with Braden Shent out, uh, still calm things down a bit. And now you, now you see the importance of that depth that the Blues have because the, the difference with him and Braden Shen is your top two centermen changes this in, entire lineup and and. and you know, the comp, the complexity of a game and how it looks. So great to have him back. Great to see that competitive fire. I've got to think, you know, at times he was getting pretty exhausted having, you know, just come straight off that COVID list, practice for a day and then play in the game. So, but, but such an important figure from a competitive standpoint. And I mean, if that trade still doesn't go down as one of the top trades or best trades in St. Louis sports history, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what would beat it other than, you know, like maybe the, the Brock for Brolio trade because that, that, that trade has impacted this franchise as much as maybe any trade in team history. It's been huge and it's been great. Curbs, great to hear your voice. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. Blues and Jets tomorrow night, 6 o'clock pregame here on your home of the Blues 101 ESPN. Have a great week. All right, good luck, Randy. I know you got the fight coming up next. Keep the nerves calm. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best. Thanks, Curbs. <laughs> See you. See you later. Chris Kerber, Voice of the Blues on 101 ESPN. And he's right. The fight is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy. It's time for the fight on Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. Randy is back. Megamind is back. I don't want to say it was an easy week for some of our challengers because they still had to go up against Danny Mack, Mark Saxon, Chris Kerber, Jeremy Rutherford, people that know a lot about sports. But as we said earlier, this segment was built around Randy Carriker because he's a singular talent when it comes to sports trivia. So Adam is going to be the first person to take on Randy now that he's back from vacation. Good morning, Adam. Morning. Are you ready to take on Randy Carriker in the fight? I am. I'm a bit nervous, but I'm hoping this will be kind of a Jaguars against the Bills situation. So let's go for field goals. Yeah, he's relaxed. He's coming off vacation. Maybe he's a little rusty. Right? You never know. You could yeah. be catching him at the right time, Adam. Here's the hope. All right. Well, good luck. <laughs> Question number one for you. On this day in 1984, the Cardinals granted free agency to Bruce Souter. Which team did he go to? Was it the Brewers, the Braves, or the Cubs? I'm going to say he went to the Braves. Nolan Arenado won his ninth gold glove at third base yesterday, marking him the third most all-time at his position. Who has won the most gold gloves at third base in MLB history? Is it Brooks Robinson, Mike Schmidt, or Scott Rowland? Scott Rowland. 
Happy 34th birthday to former Rams quarterback Sam Bradford. Sam Bradford won the Heisman Trophy in what year? 2006, 2007, or 2008? 2007. And Paul Goldschmidt is the fourth different Cardinal to win a gold glove at first base, joining Albert Pujols, Keith Hernandez, and who? Jack Clark, Mark McGuire, or Bill White? Can you repeat the question? Yes. Paul Goldschmidt is the fourth different Cardinal to win a gold glove at first base, joining Albert Pujols, Keith Hernandez, and who? It was a Jack Clark, Mark McGuire, or Bill White? Let's go with Clark. Okay, we're checking our score here. We're waving in Randy. He's chatting. Come on. <laughs> there he goes. He comes in. All right, Adam, comp- confidence check. How are you feeling? Uh, one to five, probably a two. <laughs> Understandable. We'll see. Understandable. Hoping for some Formula One questions, but that's all right. Oh, who's your driver? Uh, we're a Red Bull team at our house, for nice. sure. But we love Perez. Interesting. Uh, I'm a Daniel Ricardo girl through and through. So my allegiances Tough. change based on where Danny's driving. Not a problem. Tough race for him last week, but he's he's a respectable guy. That's for sure. He is. Are we talking F1? We're talking F1 here. You're R- home for R- F1 oh, on 101 ESPN. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Racing in the rain yesterday, huh? <laughs> uh, Randy, say hello to Adam. Adam, good morning. How you doing? Good morning, sir. Doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. My pleasure. Do you have an F1 driver or a team? Uh, Schumacher. Can I go with Schumacher and the Honda team? I don't know. As long as it's not Skip Schumacher. No, he's not a driver. Or Mick Schumacher, yeah. I thought maybe you'd say Haas, Randy. Some struggles, but American. Haas, they make pickles, right? Yeah. (laughs) Sure. All right, Randy, a week of vacation. Are you ready to get back in the saddle? I don't know, Michelle. I just don't know. We'll see. All right, question number one. On this day in 1984, the Cardinals granted free agency to Bruce Souter. Which team did he go to? He signed a six-year contract with the Atlanta Braves. Nolan Arenado won his ninth gold glove at third base yesterday, marking him the third most all-time at his position. Who has won the most gold gloves at third base in MLB history? I'm going to go with Brooks Robinson there, Emily. Brooksy Robinson. Happy birthday, Randy, to one of your personal favorites. It's Sam Bradford's 34th birthday. Sammy. Sammy B. won the Heisman Trophy in what year? Sammy B. So he was drafted in 2010-9. I'm going to say 2008. Uh, and then I think Tebow won in 09. And then I think Sam was drafted in 2010. So I'm going to go with 2008. Paul Goldschmidt is the fourth different Cardinal to win a gold glove at first base, joining Albert Pujols, Keith Hernandez, and who? Albert Pujols, Keith Hernandez, fourth different Cardinal to win a gold glove. Um... I'm going to go, I think, with Bill White, but let me think here. Um, so after Bill White, you had Cepeda, who wasn't a great defensive first baseman. And then he pretty, well, Joe Torre didn't win. He won the MVP, but I don't think he won a gold glove playing first base. So I will go with Bill White. Emily, rant. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. Still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought to you by Optical Expressions, providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. This machine still works. Just win, baby. It does, it does. Weird. Go ahead, go ahead. I know you got another one. (laughs) Might as well fire it. Go ahead. (laughs) Hold on, Michelle. I've forgotten all of this stuff. Okay, well. This was some fun. There was no. 
I'm kind of a big deal. Oh, my gosh. Well, there was no rust in Randy's brain, but apparently some rust in his sound machine over here because he's trying to figure out where all I do is win it, as I can tell. Oh, you want that? Yeah, of course. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Sorry, right. Adam. Randy got all four correct. He beat you four to That's one. All right. Adam. No <laughs> we're, we're taunting now. You, you asked for I'm it, Michelle. The flag. I'm the NFL. I'm throwing the flag. Taunting? Really? Really? Sorry, Adam. Anyway, I think Randy's done. Oh, no, he's not. Okay. Win, 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 win. Now he's done. I'm going to pull the plug on this, okay? So, Bruce Souter on this day in 1984, the Cardinals granted him free agency. He went to the Atlanta Braves. He was there from 85 to 86, and then again in 88. Nolan Arenado won his ninth gold glove at third base yesterday. That's third most all-time at his position. The player who has won the most gold gloves at third base in Major League Baseball history is, in fact, Brooks Robinson. He's got 16. Wow. It's Sam Bradford's 34th birthday. He won the Heisman Trophy in 2008. Tebow won it in 07 at Florida. Oh, who won it in 09 then? That I don't know. But Troy Smith won it in 2006. I think it's Mark Ingram. Oh, Oh, yeah. And he's still bouncing around. How about that? There you go. And Paul Goldschmidt is the fourth different Cardinal to win a gold glove at first base. He joins Albert Pujols with two, Keith Hernandez with five, and Bill White, who's won six. Adam, thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Have an awesome week. Thanks, you guys. You too. Adam, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. That is the fight. Next up, stick around for You're Killing Me, Smalls. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. All right, here we go with... You're killing me, Smalls. Randy, I wanted to bring something to your attention and to our listeners' attention that Big League Impact is doing. It's very cool. Anytime Adam Wainwright and Big League Impact has something going on, we want to give everyone the heads up on it. So NFTs are the are the rage right now in the art world. And Big League Impact, it has a great NFT available right now. It was created by Stephen Walden, who's a St. Louis artist. And it is of Adam Wainwright's 2000th strikeout. It commemorates the 2000 strikeouts and people right now can go to bigleagueimpact.org slash Walden NFT and anyone who donates $100 or more directly to Big League Impact can get an official NFT commemorating this feat, the 2000th career strikeout. All you have to do to be eligible is go to bigleagueimpact.org slash Walden NFT, but you have to do it by 11.59 a.m. today. So head Mm. on over there, check this out, make a donation, and you could get a very cool piece of Adam Wainwright and an NFT. That is very cool. And Adam, he's cutting edge, isn't he? He's finding every way to help people out and help advance the cause of Big League Impact with an NFT, a non-fungible token yes. is what it is. And it's basically uh, uh, the, the picture comes to you over the interwebs, right? Yeah, it's digital. Yeah, cool. Very awesome. You're killing me, Smalls. Again, that's bigleagueimpact.org slash Walden NFT. Well, another Cardinal in the news this morning, Randy, Matt Carpenter. We know Marp. His, his, we know his time in St. Louis is over, but he just put out an incredible love letter to St. Louis and to the Cardinals organization over at the Players' Tribune. You should absolutely go check it out. He has tweeted it at MattCarp13. It's a little long, so we're not going to read the entire thing, but I wanted to read the first paragraph of this mm-hmm. because Matt Carpenter is a guy who has given every ounce of himself to this organization and to this city. 
I know that the end wasn't the way that everyone expected it to be or hoped that it would be, fans, himself included, but he was a great Cardinal and a great representative of our community. And Matt Carpenter is a guy that just gets it. A lot of times here in St. Louis, we want the athletes that represent us to just get it. Matt Carpenter gets it. This piece at the Players' Tribune opens with this, Randy. There's something about home plate at Bush Stadium. It might just look like another batter's box to you, but it's different, man. It really is. When I was up to bat, I could feel the rhythm of the park, the heartbeat of a baseball city. On a fall night, 45,000 in the stands, I could feel all of St. Louis right there under my cleats in my chest. There's nothing like it, and I can promise you I never, ever took that feeling for granted. Every time I stepped into that box with the birds on the bat stitched across my chest, I was reminded of what it meant to be a Cardinal. I could close my eyes and see all the greats who put on that jersey before me. I cherished that feeling. I cherished it all the way until the end, but the end is here. And he goes on to talk about what it meant to play in this organization. And uh, he has a lot of great nuggets about his career from his first game, watching Albert Pujols have a dramatic moment to watching the David Freeze run at home and being able to experience that. So I want to encourage everybody to go read that because it really is a beautiful letter that Matt Carpenter wrote to the city of St. Louis. And it's one of those things where if you're another baseball player, you read that and you say, wow, St. Louis really is attractive. And obviously, Marp and Nolan are not or very tight. They vacation with each other. But it can never be a bad thing to have people, especially guys that are popular within the sport, talk about how great your area and how great your organization is. Well, think about Colton Wong. When mm-hmm. he yeah. left the Cardinals, he's crying in his first at bat, um, wearing another uniform. He wrote an incredible love letter to St. Louis. And Matt Carpenter goes on to talk about the, the fans. And you're you're right. I think it's a little bit of validation for St. Louis, too, because we talk about how different it is here. Mm-hmm. And I think people outside St. Louis get worn out by they it. They roll they're, their eyes. They're like, please, the Cardinal way, shut up. You you guys are not the best fans in baseball. This is not the best baseball city in America. You're self-appointed. But when athletes play here and they also get it and mm-hmm. they go out of their way to talk about it publicly and when they go other places still sing the praises of St. Louis, it's validation for yeah. us. It really is. You're killing me, Smalls. And another guy who constantly does that, Randy, is Isaac Bruce. Mm -hmm. Even though the Rams aren't here in St. Louis anymore, Isaac Bruce is constantly showing St. Louis love. He was honored at SoFi Stadium with the Hall of Fame ring of excellence yesterday. And as he's there, he puts out a tweet that says, St. Louis, the Bruce family loves you always. Thank you. With a picture of him with his bust and the ring and his Hall of Fame jacket on. So this tweet must have been sent from the Stan Kroenke box at SoFi Stadium that he was sitting in. That's pretty cool. It is. I hope that, I, I'm sure that Kroenke didn't see it. I'm sure Demoff did. You think Demoff saw it? Did you ever see Kevin Demoff not looking down at his phone? Uh, yes. You did? But I think. You're the one. He was probably looking around, uh, you know, to keep score with something, yeah. you know, not necessarily looking at his phone. Maybe he was looking around to see if Stan was around. I don't know. Yeah. He's he's always got his nose down to the phone. So I'm sure he saw it. Also, last week, Isaac Bruce was on on the morning show on ESPN with Keyshawn J. Will and Max. And he was talking about this honor and going to California to, to be honored by the Rams. And he made sure on that interview as well to say St. Louis was going to be with him and that St. Louis mm-hmm. was always in his heart. So it's not just the tweet yesterday. Anytime that he talks about getting honored or reflects back on his career, he always shows St. Louis love. So I wanted to bring that He's up. He's the best.
You're killing me, Smalls. Well, someone that was not getting love yesterday was Jordan Love's family. <laughs> so it was Packers Chiefs, Jordan Love's mother and his girlfriend made the trip to Arrowhead to watch him in his first NFL game. And to say that they didn't get the best seats in the house is the understatement of the century. They were in the very last row in the tippy top of Arrowhead Stadium. In the end zone. Yes. <laughs> they can't. He, he probably looked like an ant to them, an ant, as they were looking down at the field. Yeah, it seems like teams should do a better job of taking care of opposing players' families. When the Rams were, and I know that it's corporate, but when the Rams were here in town, opposing players got lower level seats. And I don't know why every team wouldn't have it that way. Every team in pro sports should have it that way so that. The families of the players of other teams are in a reasonable spot. I wonder when they realized where they were sitting. Did they get the tickets transferred to them game day? Was it before? Did they take the time to look at where they were sitting? Because a lot of times you probably just get the tickets and then you go Mm -hmm. in and assume that everything's handled. Um, I, I wonder if it's when they were walking up. And they kept going up and up and up. And the altitude started to affect them? <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder when they realized, oh, wait, they really stuck us in the great. very last row of the stadium in the end zone. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And what that reaction was like. Do you remember uh, DeMarco had a former college teammate that played a game here and said, hey, can you get me a couple of pairs of tickets? And DeMarco said, yeah, no problem. So he got the guy a couple of pairs of tickets uh, and... One pair was for his wife and kid, and another pair was for the girlfriend and uh, the girlfriend's friend. And they wound up being in the same section, like within rows of each other. Oh, no. Yeah. Were both parties aware of one another? Uh, I don't know if they became aware of one another, but... That's stressful. The player, who was an offensive lineman... And DeMarco, a defensive lineman, the player spent the game yelling at DeMarco saying, I didn't want them together. I didn't want them together. (laughs) On the field. (laughs) I didn't want them together. I wanted them separate. I said two pairs. (laughs) DeMarco, like my bad dude. Get your own tickets next time. (laughs) Right. You're killing me, Small. Okay, Randy, I have to tell you this at the end here because this really bothered me. So the National Toy Hall of Fame came out with their next three inductees. Here are the finalists. Okay. Battleship, Cabbage Patch Kids, Billiards, Fisher Price, Corn Popper, Mahjong, Masters of the Universe, The Pinata, Settlers of Catan, and the Toy Fire Engine. All of those not inducted. Here are the three that were. American Girl Dolls, shout out, good toys. Yep, good. Transcendent Toys really yep. became a, a powerhouse brand. Mm-hmm. Risk, a lot of people love the game of risk. Yep. This one, though, really frosted my cookies. Sand. Just sand? Sand. They say the oldest toy in the world is sand, and it's added to the National Toy Hall of Fame at the Strong National Museum of Play. They're going to get inducted into the ceremony <laughs> uh, coming up here soon in Rochester. But sand cannot be considered a toy. I'm sorry. If so, this is the easiest Hall of Fame to get into in history. You bring toys into a sandbox. That's right. Sand is not one of the toys. Now, I guess in theory, you could say, well, you could build a sand castle, but can you build said sand castle without toys to, to enhance the construction of the, the sand castle? By the way, 
I'll just toss out there that that corn popper, I had one as a two or three year old and my kids had them as two or three year olds. And I'm sure their kids will have them as two or three year olds. If that doesn't make the Hall of Fame ahead of sand, That's then right. there's something wrong with that Hall of Fame. It's ridiculous. I'm looking at the website right now. It says sand may be the most universal toy in the world. From a geologist perspective, sand is a dry, gritty material consisting of small, loose pieces of rock, soil, minerals and gemstones. Yeah, but this is naturally made. This is not a toy. It is not. And and the picture is of a bucket and a shovel. If you want to call the bucket and the shovel the toy, Mm -hmm. I'm into it. That I could get on board with. But to call sand a toy, this is egregious. I won't stand for it. And I am going to protest sand going into the National Toy Hall of Fame. I'm with you with the official protest. And Michelle, this is akin to calling snow a toy. That's right. And actually, snow is more of a toy because you don't have sand ball fights, right? That's right. You have snowball fights. You ride a sled on snow. To me, snow is more deserving of being in the Toy Hall of Fame than sand is. So I'm looking at some of the previous inductees. Slinky, legit. Skateboard, legit. Mm -hmm. Monopoly, obviously legit. Randy, in 2008, a stick was inducted. A stick. And they wrote the exact same thing. The stick may be the world's oldest toy. Are you? Is this just a pity invite that you're getting stick and sand in here? You mean to tell me that you can't come up with a better toy than a stick? Yeah, every toy is better than a stick. In fact, I would go so far as to say, even if you had the dog toy Hall of Fame, the <laughs> stick would be down the road in terms of what you would induct. You would you you would induct the Kong. You would induct the uh, the the stuffed snake. Yeah, for sure. But you, uh, even dogs like real toys better than sticks. Yeah, what dog is looking at the toy basket saying, I'm good, let's go outside and get a stick? Exactly. You know, you think Silly Putty's looking at the list of inductees and like, this is BS. I refuse to attend the ceremony. You're going to invite Sand to the mix? This is outrageous. I don't blame him. I don't blame him either, but I just want the the National Toy Hall of Fame to know that I'm watching you. I see what you're doing here, and I don't appreciate it. Sand. You're making a mockery of the entire thing. Right. Yeah, Sand and Sticks. Come on. What about a gun? Do, do they have little rubber pellet guns? Because Randy, let's stay away from guns. I'll do respect. Let's just go ahead. And okay. When stay I was a kid, we had the best rubber pellet gunfights in the and I guarantee you, there's people out there that'll text in those guns with the little round. The Red Rider BB gun. You'll shoot no, your it, eye it, out. It wasn't a BB gun. It, they were uh, they were <laughs> globe shaped yellow rubber pellets. And man, we had some epic fights with those. They were great. So those should be in because it's a Hall of Fame. I mean. Ty Cobb was not the best guy in the world, but he's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. (laughs) The gun might not be considered great right now, but for my youth, Hall of Famer. You know, I didn't think that we were going to end up on guns. I didn't think guns would be part of the conversation. That's what I remember as a kid. That was a a key toy. That was a a toy to have when I was a kid. The fact that Battleship was one of the finalists and did not get the induction over sand is a travesty. How many people have had epic games of Battleship? F1, Mm -hmm. you sunk my ship. We've all been there. We know about the strategy involved in Battleship. This is outrageous. It is outrageous. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. Coming up next, we're going to talk a little NFL with NFL.com's around the NFL writer Nick Shook. He's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And we go now to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Nick Shook, now officially a friend of the show. He's been on with us multiple times. And he writes for NFL.com around the NFL. And it's great to have you with us, Nick. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Hey, congratulations to your Browns. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, uh, they certainly answered the bell yesterday. Uh, I was surprised to see what happened. I was very surprised to see what happened and them win in that fashion. But it's good for them as an organization not to uh, let some drama derail their season and, and potentially their future. How do you feel about the way that all panned out with Odell Beckham Jr.? Well, uh, I can tell you being in Cleveland, um, it, it was rather divisive. Uh, it kind of just cast a pall over the entire week, even though it's just football. The people here take it that seriously. And, um, and, but personally, um, you know, I, having worked for the team and, and knowing Odell a little bit, I was surprised. Um, just he, he's, he's kind of hard to get into the mind of Odell, um, at least from my own experiences. And so I, I was surprised just because, you know, I thought him being there with his best friend would, would kind of maybe pass anything up that like that. And, but apparently this had been simmering for a while. So um, the fact that it just kind of, I think the most surprising thing above all is not necessarily even that he wanted out, but that the Browns were so firm in their response where they basically excused him from practice on Wednesday and Thursday and told players, you know, he's essentially not part of the team and worked out a, an agreement for release. And, and, you know, all of a sudden it's taken care of uh, the old Browns. I don't think would have done that would have let it fester even worse, but it is a disappointing end for what was, you know, highly touted. I mean, I was there when they acquired him and uh, it was a big deal, but Hey, sometimes things just don't work out. And Nick, the perception of Baker Mayfield tends to ebb and flow, obviously getting the victory. I'm sure he got a lot of points, but give me a temperature check of how people in Cleveland feel about Baker Mayfield. Oh, man, Uh, he couldn't have done anything better than what he did yesterday in terms of because it was basically this this whole thing pit people who would back Odell and people who would back Baker, even if that wasn't necessarily the intention. Um, And then, you know, they were left with only one. So either Baker was going to go out and and play well and they were going to win or Baker was going to go out and play poorly. And then they would just have all the ammunition, ammunition in the world to put the blame for this uh, split on Baker. So for the fact that he played like he did, you know, he, he threw a touchdown, a couple touchdown passes, including a 60 yard strike downfield to Donovan Peoples Jones, who I think is going to step in pretty well, pretty well to replace the role that Odell leaves behind. Um, but just the fact that he, he didn't turn the ball over, he played a clean game. They played, they, you know, he kind of engineered a dominant victory on the back of Nick Chubb as well. Uh, that earned him a ton of points. People here are, I mean, he, he, he knows exactly how to play to the crowd, too, and, and he knows what the people around here, he's been here long enough now, what gets them fired up. And maybe it falls in line with what you know he says as well, but he's got probably more support from this town after this victory than he might have ever had or maybe since the playoff win. Nick Shook, NFL.com, with us on 101 ESPN. Nick, one of the teams that we still keep an eye on here is the Arizona Cardinals. A lot of people grew up as St. Louis Cardinal fans. That was one of the games that you were keeping an eye on yesterday. And without... Kyler, without the starting wide receivers, they still come away from San Francisco with a victory. How good are the Cardinals? Are they? Could you make an argument that they're the best team in the NFC? Ooh, you know, <laughs> yeah, you can make an argument. Um, I'm not going to say it outright, but you could definitely make an argument. Uh, I was very impressed by the fact that they not only went out there, but kind of another game they kind of dominated. I mean, they were up, I believe, 31 to seven at one point. Uh, you know, with Colt McCoy as your quarterback completing. 20 of his, I think 22 total completions were under 10 air yards. So he's just taking everything underneath it and they were moving the ball that way very effectively. Chase Edmonds leaves early and 
and you get James Conner, and you get a lot of James Conner, and you get good James Conner, whether it's a screen pass or a handoff. Uh, he, he looked a lot like he did at his best days in a Steelers uniform yesterday. So, And then you also don't have DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Green. And, I mean, and then let's give a bunch of credit to the defense. It was a complete mm-hmm. win over, you know, a team that I'm not – I still haven't figured out the 49ers. Like, and when I say that, I mean I, don't, I haven't figured out if they can be good uh, just because there's just some glaring issues with them. But that shouldn't take away from what the Cardinals did yesterday. They had all the – all the cards stacked against them and, and still managed to win and win in an impressive fashion. So, yeah, they could be – they're definitely one, one of the better teams in the NFC at this point. I don't know if they're the best. That's why we have another half of the season to play. Nick, speaking of trying to figure something out, let's talk about the Chiefs. They were able to get the victory over the Packers, but, you know, they're facing a rookie quarterback in, in Jordan Love who couldn't take advantage of the vulnerability of the Chiefs. But when you look at Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs offense, diagnose it for me. What are you seeing? Oh, well, I see a team that has not been able to trust the run in weeks, probably not since they lost Clyde Edwards-Alaire to injury. And even then, they didn't trust it that much. I think that they're imbalanced and that they rely on throwing the ball too much. And, they, you know, I, I go back to the game they beat the Giants in. I mean, they have two slim wins over teams that – I mean, the Giants are the Giants. So I, I give them credit, I guess, for, for winning that game. But it was not a pretty one. And, and if they, if Packers are Aaron Rodgers, I'm sorry, but that, that's a different outcome. Uh, and, and the reason is, is that, you know, when they played against the Giants – it was like every third play, they just roll out, and Mahomes is just trying to take a shot. It's like they're too stuck in their big play ways, and they're you know because they're just so comfortable and used to being able to move the ball with ease and take shots and hit Tyree Kill for a touchdown and catch a defense on its heels and put up 40 points in a game that like they don't know how to get out of it. They don't know how to figure out their way through this. And and Patrick Mahomes, it's clear that you know through nine weeks now that the mistakes that they've made and the lack of rhythm are starting to affect him. Now, is he a great quarterback? Sure. Um, but I think that he's working through significant struggles for the first time in his career, and, and I just don't think these Chiefs are as good as the team we've seen the last few years. And it's hard to do that in the NFL. It's really hard to stay and maintain that success. You know, the salary cap exists for this reason. They've had to retool the right side of their offensive line. Again, they've lacked a presence on the ground, um, and, and their defense, you know, he's got to try to throw his way into victories because of their defense. Well, their defense played well yesterday, and they played pretty decently against the Giants as well. So, I don't know if I would judge those opponents. It's basically a good litmus test. But I think that it's just a couple of problems. The Chiefs not being able to stay as strong as they were before. And it's Patrick Holmes essentially trying to do too much because he knows that he might have to do that to keep them competitive. Nick, we want to touch on one more game, and that's last night's game where the the Titans, they handled it. They, they throttled the, the, the Rams. It was not the, – the score wasn't indicative of how dominant Tennessee was. And they do it without Derrick Henry. What's that say about the Titans? Yeah, I was going to ask, um, you know, you mentioned that some people in the area are still Cardinals fans. Are any Is anybody there still Rams fans, or, or is everybody pretty upset about that? It's less than 10%. This is uh, – the, the, people watch the Rams to hate watch here. Okay, uh, okay. But less than 10% of the people who were fans stayed on board with the Rams. We, we're we not a big Rams fan, fan base here. Yeah, well, I, I, they weren't there as long, so I could understand that. So that must have been a great night for everybody around there. That was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Watching them uh, lose in the fashion that they did. I mean, that, that's the formula. That is, that's the formula to beat a team with a high-powered offense is to pressure the quarterback. Um, Matthew Stafford making a couple of really bad decisions and flipping the game uh, on its side really quickly. And you got to give the Titans defense credit because, you know, we spent so much time talking about Derrick Henry and how they're going to miss Derrick Henry and what are they going to do offensively. Their defense has played really good football for really most of the last month. I mean, even though they gave up, what was it, I think 35 points against the Bills in that uh, primetime game, they still played well enough to win that game and, and ultimately did. And then 
since then they've been even better. David Long Jr. has been very good. Um, yeah, there's a couple of other players in the defensive front that have been. Danico Autry is one of them. Um, um, Harold Landry has had a career year. I think they're just playing – oh, and then, of course, Jeffrey Simmons. They're just playing great up front defensively, and it's allowing their back end to take a little bit of pressure off of them, and it also takes the pressure off the offense. When you get that all together – last night was Jeffrey Simmons' night to dominate and destroying center Brian Allen for the Rams. Um, you know, the, the, if you can get all that together, then losing Derrick Henry doesn't hurt as much. And I also think that it's a team that's more than one player in terms of they know their system. They know their scheme. They know what they want to go out and do, and that, that's to beat you physically. And they won physically last night, and I think they're going to be a bully for anybody that's in their way. Nick, great stuff. Thanks so much for taking the time with us this morning. We appreciate it. Thank you. See you later. That is Nick Shook, NFL.com, and the Around the NFL group. And he does a great job, and we love having him on the show. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, Skip Schumacher is going to be the Cardinals' new bench coach. Nobody knows him better than Brad Thompson, co-host of The Fast Lane. And BT will join us on Character and Smallman next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Eric Ernst Bowman on 101 ESPN. And you heard about the Pick'em Challenge between the Riz Show and the Fastlane. Brad Thompson, Fastlane co-host, joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. And it's always good to talk to BT. And I wasn't even thinking of it, BT. First of all, good morning. Second of all, how are you doing in that uh, that Pick'em Challenge? Randy, good morning to you. Michelle, good morning to you. And I'd like to just take this uh, this opportunity to tell you I'm not here to talk about the past. Okay, <laughs> uh, This isn't about what's happened the first nine weeks of the NFL season where we've only taken home two of them. Uh, it is about the rest of an extended, I, I remind you, NFL season. And that's where we really hit our stride. The, uh, the, the whole competition seemed far too easy for us to just do it from the jump. So we're going to try the second half, see how that works. But no, we lost again this week. Things aren't good. Oh, no. I do see, though, that uh, in the overall individual competition, Rivs is in first place, then Patrico and Riz and Burton, and then you're in fourth. So you're doing fine. You're tied for fourth. I've been trying. I've been trying. Uh, you know, Jamie is killing it. He's been fantastic. Uh, Meat, uh, he probably isn't listening now because I promised to, to him that I wouldn't bring this up again. Uh, but he did forget a pick this week, which really put <laughs> us in a bit of a bind. Uh, but, uh, you know, and Anthony, poor guy's been shot seven times. So, look, it, it's, been a, it's been an interesting pick em challenge so far for us. And, you know, Matt Holiday has been shot once already. And, Credit to him. The, the right after the game was over, I got a video sent to my phone. So he's all in. Look, we're ready to make a push, guys. <laughs> well, we believe in you, Brad. Get it done. We believe in you guys. That makes one of us. <laughs> well, we of course wanted to ask you about Skip Schumacher returning to the Cardinals as the big league bench coach. One question that I wanted to ask you: I feel like a lot of fans and media sometimes we make a lot about someone like Skip uh, absorbing this role because he's won a World Series. He's been in the organization. We talk about adding a voice into the mix that has been there and done that before. How important is that actually in the clubhouse when it comes to having someone, whether it's a manager or someone on the coaching staff, that has won at the highest level? Look, I think it gives you credibility right off the bat. And not to say you can't have credibility without playing this game at the highest level and winning at the highest level, because you absolutely can. There are fantastic teachers out there of this game uh, that, that just haven't played it at that level but see it a certain way and can relay it a certain way. 
But when you have somebody that can relay all of the information, that is a great coach, that knows the game inside and out, and then also has that playing experience, and not just playing in the big leagues, but winning in the big leagues, to me that's the perfect storm. So I, I really do think it's important. And as soon as the, the job came open, like Skip was one of the first people that all of us thought about as, as being the guy. And you knew that there was uh, you know, some turmoil out in San Diego with Jace Tangler being let go. And I was just so happy that they were able to come to an agreement to get Skippy in because I know it's a, it's a huge decision for him, for his family. He's a, uh, he, he's a California guy, SoCal kid, but – it, to, to him, and I was texting with him over the weekend, I mean, this is a homecoming for him. Like, he is super pumped up, so I'm just glad they were able to get something together. BT, it seems like in observing him as a player, and you played with him in the minors and at the major league level, he's kind of a baseball rat. He always loves to talk baseball, right? No, he is, and the thing about him, and he is a baseball rat. He loves learning the game, learning new things. It's not always just, a, well, this is how I always did it. Skip was one of those guys. And he had a skill set where he needed to continue to evolve, you know, talented, but always had to, to change his game. So I think that's going to be something that that aspect of uh, having a guy on your staff that has bounced around at the big league level too. remember. I mean, he got drafted as a shortstop minor leagues. They moved him to the outfield, big leagues. He played the outfield. They moved him to second base. He bounced back and forth. What have we been talking about so much with the game of baseball, but specifically the Cardinals as we head into 2022? Like they're, they're looking like in certain spots, they want to platoon. They want to have guys bouncing around. And maybe guys won't play in as many natural positions every once in a while. Well, darn, it's nice to have a guy right there on your staff that has done all of these things. So he, he, uh, he lives the game like inside and out, and uh, he's just going to be a perfect fit. I think that there's so many different ways – uh, that uh, he can help out. And I also think the the fact that he is coming from a different organization actually will benefit things. Instead of the echo chamber of, okay, well, this is our philosophy. Not that Skip's not going to be in line with what the organization is trying to do, but maybe there's an outside perspective. Like, you guys know that. Like, might be thinking about a show a certain way, and then somebody comes in and say, hey, well, what about this? Like, damn, that makes a lot of sense. Maybe we'll try something like that. I think Skip brings that aspect as well. BT, you touched on it a little bit with your answers here, but as somebody that knows Skip Schumacher really well, give us a scouting report on him as a leader, on as a communicator. What is he going to bring to this coaching staff? Yeah, so as a communicator, he is he could do it in many different ways. Like Skip is, is one of the funniest teammates I've ever had, and he's like got a dry, quick sense of humor, so he can snark it, you know, <laughs> he, with the best of them. But he also like he can flip the switch very quickly and be able, uh, you know, jump on somebody when they need to, you know. So I, I think that he just relates well with so many different kinds of people, and that that is a, a real character trait. You know that there are some. It doesn't have to be a coach. There are some bosses or just some people in positions of power well where like this is how they lead and this is the only way and it's my way or the highway the skip can can uh, you know develop uh, different relationships and, and he can evolve the way that, that he is talking with people and uh, to me that, that's important you know the the whole jumping on somebody when they do something wrong well that doesn't work for everybody some some guys need the uh, the attaboy you're going to be okay and i really think that from a leadership standpoint, he's going to bring that and this uh, and you know adding on like the first question we were talking about that big league experience I really think that that is a calming presence to have around as well. And I'm really interested to see which direction they go with this secondary hitting job and see if they try to bring in more big league experience as well. Because, man, there really is something to, hey, 
this guy, he's been there, he's done that. What he's telling me is from a position of knowledge and a position of experience. And uh, so that, that, you know, Skip brings a lot of that. Yeah, along those lines, because we know that Yachty and Wayno are going to be respectful generally of leadership. Yachty will go to Instagram now and then if he doesn't like what's going on. But We've all been there. Yes, we, <laughs> we have. But the fact that now those guys have a contemporary, a guy that they were in the minor leagues with, that will definitely help out Oliver Marmol in his relationships with the veteran players, won't it? Yeah, I, I think so. And, and to credit Ollie, though, Ollie has done a really good job. Ollie doesn't need much help. Like he, he has a, a great standing with all of these guys, and he's got a great respect from the lead, from from the veteran leaders and from the young players. And he's built that. He's built that from the the minor leagues up when he, when he was a player to coaching quickly and. Uh, he's earned all of that, but having, you know, you can't have too much respect on a staff. I wouldn't think, and too many good people and good communicators. And that's the thing on a staff, as we all know, you have to have people that get along. Like you got to be able to push back on different ideas, which I know skip can do that, but you have to be able to get along as well and get along with a little bit of everybody. So the previous question, Michelle, about, about the, uh, you know, how is he going to relate to the players and what does he bring from that standpoint? I think it's equally important of how he relates with the other, guys on that staff because Mm -hmm. nowadays in baseball it's different it's it's not like the hey let's we'll show up at you know two o'clock game is uh, at night we'll have a couple of beers and we're out of here no they like these coaches they are there in the morning and they stay late at night like it is a, a very difficult job and they're around each other we always say teammates are around each other more than they are their families we'll take that times two for a coaching staff so the fact that skip is the individual that he is has the personality that he does I really think helps out. BT, one more thing about Skip. I always go back to he and Dunk going out to meet with Mark McGuire during off seasons to talk hitting. You talked earlier about his thirst for knowledge and the thirst to pass it along. To me, learning from so many people, he was a guy that did learn from George Kissel in the Cardinal organization. He's a guy that obviously got a lot of his knowledge from Tony. He was around people that really knew what they were talking about and wanted to learn even more. He's got a ton of knowledge, doesn't he? Well, he does, and uh, with, with uh, a lot of the names that, that you dropped uh, out, dropped there uh, among you know those that are still with us, look, he's got a lot of relationships that he can lean on. So you're going to lean on relationships within the building, but this is something that you know Mike Schilt had talked about a lot. He would lean on Tony Larusa and uh, different. You know, reach out to him if he had questions or, you know, maybe it would be Tony reaching out to to Shilty. I think that those things are important. It's important to to build, uh, you know, build that tree, if you will, of baseball relationships. And because it's baseball knowledge, again, people will think about things different ways. You know, maybe uh, Skip is going to go through something or the team's going through something. And maybe he reaches out to Big Mac. Hey, Mark, what would you do in a situation like this? Or what are you seeing? Or check out this guy. Uh, see what you're seeing in his swing. Like all of these things to me pay a lot of dividends at the end of it. So it's, you don't get jobs like this. You don't get a, a major league coaching job and specifically being the right hand man of a manager, which I know that Skip will be a manager one of these days, unless you put in the work and unless you're qualified to do so. And Skip has put in the work ever since day one. My first year playing with him was 2004. And he was he was a baseball rat. He was a gym rat. He was just a great teammate and a baseball guy. And he has earned all of the you know all of the accolades, all of the positions he's got to this point. I'm just pumped up for him. I'm pumped up for the team because I believe it's a great fit.
BT, I did want to ask you, too, about Matt Carpenter. We know his time with the Cardinals organization is done. He put out a great uh, love letter, if you will, to St. Louis and to the Cardinals and their fans today at the Players' Tribune. And when you're looking back on Matt Carpenter's tenure here in St. Louis, how will you remember his Cardinals career? Uh, see, I remember it. I'll remember it in a positive light, but I do understand those that push back on the last couple of years. I think that uh, Matt Carpenter, unfortunately, is – he is remembered for the, the last contract that he was given. He was given it to you know to it too early. It was a you know a thirty nine million dollar extension when he had a year left, and he struggled mightily the last two years. But Matt Carpenter was a great Cardinal. I mean, go back and look at the numbers that he, he was able to put up and, and the way that he went about it. Uh, he was he was great. Now, I love seeing over the weekend a lot of people, you know, tweeting out Matt Carpenter like videos and photos and, and fans just saying, say, hey, Matt Carpenter is one of the main reasons I started loving Cardinal baseball. I mean, this is a guy that was an all star multiple times, three times, a top MVP vote uh, three different times, I believe it was. So that's how I remember Matt Carpenter. And I got a chance uh, at a charity event. Kyle Gibson had a char- uh, charity event for uh, Big League Impact. Uh, and I got a, ch- a chance to talk to Matt a little bit about, you know, just what is next and where he's headed. And he just said, man, I just don't want to, I don't want to go out like this. Like, I, I want to go out, uh, you know, knowing, I-, I know I've got more in the tank and I want to be able to show that somewhere. So he's expecting to try to, you know, sign on with somebody, it, you know, very likely will be close to spring training to find where the best fit is. But I wish him all the best. Matt Carpenter, through all the struggles the last couple of years, he's been nothing but a pro. He's been nothing but a good teammate to everybody that's out there. And as we all know, like if you have to take a step back in whatever it is, the job that you're doing, it's hard to pump somebody else up. And he's been able to do that every step along the way, and he's got more left in the tank. BT, nobody knows Skip Schumacher better than you, and that's why we wanted to have your voice on our show this morning. But we'll be tuned in at 2 for the Fast Lane with you and Rivs. Is Anthony taking some paternity leave here? Yes, Anthony is out for the week as they uh, introduce their new baby boy, Lincoln, to the world. So he is out. So, yeah, look, it's Jamie and I running stuff for the week. So we'll see if Anthony has a show left when he comes back (laughs) the following Monday. All right. Hey, good to hear your voice. Thanks so much. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, brother. That is Brad Thompson, Fastlane on 101 ESPN. I wonder then who has to take the shots in the rear end if Anthony's gone. Or do they just save him for him? I would guess that Meat will probably be next in line. I I would guess so. That's BT on 101 ESPN. Coming up, today's big thing, five gold glove winners for the Cardinals. Will this ever happen again? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. We'll take that right there. Down by Goldschmidt, he'll take it himself. Muncy lines it into the glove of Tommy Edmond. Oh, what a play! Put in play, Arenado steps on the bag. Across the diamond, double play! Wow, this guy is something else. Nolan Arenado. The one-two pitch to Newman. And a fly ball. Left field. Bader again! Diving for it. Harrison Bader is putting on a show tonight. Betts out to left. O'Neal back. He caught it! Tyler O'Neal with the catch up against the wall, and the Cardinals win it! 
Five gold glove winners for the St. Louis Cardinals, including outfielders Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill and infielders Nolan Arenado, his ninth in nine seasons in the majors, Tommy Edmond, his first, and Paul Goldschmidt also wins a gold glove for the Cardinals. And Michelle... I don't think it's unreasonable to think that at some point Dylan Carlson will win one also. I don't know if Yachty at this stage at 39, if he's going to win another one. Jacob Stallings is really, really good for the Pirates. Real Muto is really, really good for the Phillies. But I could easily see the Cardinals winning six. I could, too. I have no reason to believe that the players that won this year couldn't repeat next season. Yes, some positions will have some stronger competition, but their Cardinals are bringing back all of these these members of their personnel, and the defense for this team should be just as good, if not better, next season. We get a text from the 314 that reads, the Cardinals can have nine gold glove winners, and without a world championship, do you know what it means? Nothing! I would argue that good defense gives you a better chance to be a good team, gives you a better chance to be a world championship team. It's hard to be a world championship team if you play bad defense. It's also tough to be a World Series championship team if the other facets of your team aren't firing, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you're having injuries in your starting rotation or your offense isn't clicking. But I would like my chances better with a defense like the Cardinals have. Haven't we heard that defense wins championships, Randy? Yes, we have. So as long as the Cardinals have that in place, I like I like their chances. Yeah, and there are so many spots where you can hit the ball for, uh, uh, if you're the opposition against the Cardinals. There were a lot in 2021 where the ball got caught. If you went back three years to 2018, beginning of the first half of the 2018 season, the ball hit in the exact same spot was dropping or going for a double or a triple. And... That causes the other team to score runs. If you want run suppression, then great defense is a great way to go about suppressing runs. And so, yes, you are right. Nine gold glove winners doesn't guarantee you anything. And in your mind, you get no joy from the fact that the Cardinals could, if they don't win the World Series. I get that. There's a lot of people that feel that way. Mm -hmm. But good defense sure makes it more fun to watch for me. Same. Also, we want the Cardinals to go out and acquire more starting pitching. And money is always going to be the number one motivating factor, money or a chance to win. Imagine being a starting pitcher and looking at your opportunities and knowing that you're going to have this defense behind you. That has to be a major point in the let's go to St. Louis column. If you're surveying the landscape and and you're maybe balancing different offers and trying to figure out where you want to go. If I'm a pitcher, why wouldn't I want to be in this position? The Cardinals are not going to spend. I'll, I'll tell you now, they aren't going to spend money to get Max Scherzer. It's just not going to happen. So we have to look at a rung or two lower. And one of the guys that I thought of, and he's not going to be a name that's going to thrill anybody, but one of the Gold Glove finalists and is a free agent is Zach Davies. Zach Davies is a guy who pitches to contact. He's practically the the quintessential Cardinal pitcher, except he gives innings. And that's one thing we can't count on from any Cardinals pitchers right now. If you could get Zach Davies at a price that's palatable from a business standpoint for the Cardinals, I would think that he would be as good a fit here as anybody. He's not going to be great. He's not winning. He's not going to be Max Scherzer, but he he'd be a good guy to have. I wish they would go out and get Max Scherzer, though. I do too. Can you imagine? <laughs> no. Just think about this. No, that would be incredible. So somebody predicted that the 
Giants were going to sign both Scherzer and Verlander. And the uh, the snarky writer said, can you imagine having the two future Hall of Famers wear, uh, playing for the same team that wears orange in its uniforms? Hmm. Because the Tigers have orange. Oh, yeah. Scherzer, Verlander, Price, Porcello, and... Annabelle Sanchez. That was a starting rotation that didn't win a World Series. That's incredible. That's ridiculous. It is. Uh, imagine the DeWitts or Mr. DeWitt, John Mozeliak called a press conference. They're like, okay, good news, bad news. Bad news. We know a lot of you wanted us to go out and pursue Albert Pujols, get the band back together, have Yachty, Wayno, and perhaps Albert have a final season together, a last dance. We're not going to do that. Good news is, is we brought home the guy who we whiffed on all those years ago, um, the one that got away in Max Scherzer. I would rather have that. Love so Albert. Would I. So would but I. I'd rather have Max Scherzer. And Michelle, we want to touch on this one more time. If people go to the Players Tribune, and you retweeted the Matt Carpenter uh, piece at the Players Tribune, it is a love letter to St. Louis. And so many players don't get it. And Matt Carpenter is clearly a guy that does. He, he understands what he had for the last 10 years. And he could anticipate this. He knew that the end was coming. He writes in his piece, Randy, I've tried to soak up these last few months as best I could. I knew the end might be coming and I wanted to really feel every last moment I had as a card. The things that had become monotonous, like the pregame stretch or batting practice, I tried to pretend like it was my first ball game again. I looked around the stadium as much as I could, taking mental pictures of every step along the way. Man, just thinking about what an honor this has been. Just thinking about what an honor it's been to have represented this city. There will be a time when the Cardinals Red Ribbon Committee, of which I am honored to be a part of, will contemplate Matt Carpenter being on the ballot for the Cardinal Hall of Fame. And I will absolutely back him to be on the ballot. So then it gets to you. Are you going to go to Cardinals.com and vote for Matt Carpenter to be a Cardinal Hall of Famer? It depends on who else is on the ballot at the time, obviously. But yes, I think Matt Carpenter is very deserving of that honor. I think if you look at his career in totality, he was a great Cardinal. And I could totally see him wearing a red jacket one day. So in three years, presuming Albert plays this coming season, and Wainwright and Molina, you know, are playing, he's really the only guy coming off this year. The only guy that could, because you have to wait three years. I wouldn't be surprised if he were a first ballot Cardinal Hall of Famer. I wonder if people listening to this feel the same way. Because I think right now it might be hard mm-hmm. to separate what you saw the past few seasons with Matt Carpenter and look at the complete body of work because we live in the moment, right? right? This yep. is what we do. We look at the immediacy of what we're seeing and the end of Matt Carpenter's Cardinal career was not what he anticipated, the fans anticipated, certainly not what the organization anticipated when they gave him that deal. But I think if fans took a step back and they looked at everything and I honestly think things like this do matter when it comes to that vote. I think that when you read a love letter from Matt Carpenter and he describes in very fine detail what an honor it was to put on that uniform every day and how much blood, sweat, and tears he put into this organization and how all he wanted was to represent 
St. Louis and make the fans proud. In mm-hmm. this piece, he talks about what it was like for him to watch the, the Cardinals run in 2011 in the David Freeze moment on the couch and how he was swept up into being a fan and how that motivated him to work even harder because he wanted to provide moments like that for St. Louis. And I think when fans read stuff like that, they realize that he's somebody that left it all out on the field. He gave every single ounce of himself to this organization and to this community, and I could see them casting that vote. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Good to have you with us on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. By the way, tomorrow we're going to have a four-hour show. Danny Mack is off today and tomorrow. Today, you're going to have... Uh, BK and Ferrario going an extra hour. They'll come in at 10. Tomorrow we'll go until 11. But we're going to cross things over with Alex Ferrario next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Alex Ferrario joins us, BK and Ferrario, coming up from 10 to 2. Danny Mack is off today. He'll be off tomorrow, so it'll be fun to hear from these two guys. And Alex Ferrario joins us in studio. How you doing? Fantastic. How's everybody doing? Good. You're looking well. And last night, it had to be pretty cool for you to have a game in Anaheim that was over by, what, 9.45 or so? <laughs> it's a beautiful thing, Randy. When I tell my wife, I'll be home before you fall asleep rather than <laughs> home before you wake up with the baby. That's how yeah. it was for a while. But, hey, I can't complain because it's not the Honda West division anymore. Oh, right. Yeah. And, oh, man. and 32 Honda of West. the 56 games are not starting at 8 o'clock or later, so... I'm okay with that. Good for you. I'm excited for Tuesday. Like Be back in Canada for the first time Mm -hmm. since the bubble. That's going to be interesting to see what that's like. Yeah. Because that's got to be weird for those guys. I mean, you haven't been to Canada in what, a year and a half, almost two years? So Obviously, hopefully, the Blues won't have any trouble getting up there. But with all of the close contact that these guys have had to COVID and with the difficulty in getting across the border, I can see it being a hassle. I can't believe that we're still dealing with all these positive COVID tests and all of these restrictions, especially because so many other leagues aren't dealing with it to the same severity that the NHL is when they had such a high vaccination rate. It's, I'm sure, very frustrating for the league that they're having all of these tests because it's not just one team. It's not just isolated somewhere. It's across the league. Yeah, and we talked about it on pregame last night because Doug Armstrong spoke over the weekend. And, you know, of course, there's no real answers to this because every time you're going to get tested, you're going to find things like this. But the NHL, they're getting so many positive tests. But Doug Armstrong said, he's like, well, this is what you're going to get when you're testing these guys every single day, when they're traveling all over the country, when they're going back and forth from places that are wide open. He's like, you're going to get these positive tests. And that's just kind of the hiccup right now. And the Blues just in a a really weird predicament because of this cap situation. Mm -hmm. And Bill Daly and the NHL uh, front office basically saying, yeah, you're not getting any cap relief. You just have to deal with it. Yeah, good luck. I listen, as you know, to BK and Ferrario pretty much every day, you know, because I I text in. I appreciate it. You do. I'm thinking that if the Cardinals get every free agent or trade player that you request, their roster is going to be like 150 going into spring training. Oh, that's that's about... (laughs) That's about right. You guys love having players on the team. That's true. I mean, let's be honest. What we like to do is something that the fast lane also likes to do. Just trade people for prospects and sign guys and say, well, they can figure it out. It's yeah. not our money. I was just going to say, it's so much easier to spend money yeah. when it's As not ours. T-Bone likes to say, you open up the DeWallet and you let it work. Yeah, there you go. Max Scherzer, we were reading in the office. We're going to talk about this a little bit later. We're going to do a this or that segment. But uh, Kylie McDaniel of ESPN, he had some projections out for contracts. And then Jim Bowden had some projections out for contracts. 
contracts. Kylie McDaniel had projections of Max Scherzer three years, $90 million. Jim Bowden had three years, $150 million. Ooh. So which one are we going to go with here? And I saw one, I think it was in the New York Post yesterday, that had him at three years and 140. Right. So Big it, difference there. If, if yeah, it's, if just it's, a little. And, and again, we like to spend other people's money. I think that three years and ninety million for the Cardinals would be worth looking at. Three years, ninety, ninety-five million for Scherzer. I think with the money that's come off the books this offseason, and then next year you have Yadi and Wayno coming off the mm-hmm. books. If I were the Cardinals and I wanted to maximize my chances to win in the last year of Wainwright and Molina, I would go three and 90 or 95. And that's what I keep thinking. We know that this is outside of the characteristics of the Cardinals to even consider a deal like that or to go out and want to spend money to get the top free agent at any position. But not only are you going to try to maximize Wayno and Yachty's final season, not only have you circled 2022 as the season to win and you think the way the season ended, you're in a pretty good position into next year. You made a shocking move this offseason to double down and commit to the trajectory of this team. This is the time to spend. This is the time to go for it. So even though we don't expect them to, I keep thinking, if not now, when? Mm -hmm. And by the way, one other note is that Goldschmidt's not going to be like he was last year forever. He's 34 years old. Right. So you've got to maximize not only the end of Wainwright and Molina's careers, but the the end of Paul Goldschmidt's elite effectiveness. And that's part of the reason why, and I understand you want pitching and if the pitching's out there, but that's part of the reason why I really want to go get one of those big-name shortstops because you're hitting the tail end of a Paul Goldschmidt era to whereas, yes, he's going to be making that amount of money for the mm-hmm. next couple of seasons, but when that contract is up, now you have the next guy who's taking over that Paul Goldschmidt role in your infield. And honestly, for winning five gold gloves yesterday, why not add another solid defender in the middle of that and just lock down this pitching staff for how good the defense is? Gold Glover, right? Yeah. So you want Carlos Correa. That's your guy. That's him. And bring the trash cans. Why not? Okay. That's no, the Cardinals don't cheat, Randy. You know better than that. They do not. They wouldn't do that. Trevor Story's good, though, as long as it's not a one-year deal. BK's all about this one-year deal, and I'm like, get this trash out of here. So Trevor Story will take a one-year deal to come to the Cardinals rather than a six-year deal to go to the uh, Yankees. Well, do the Yankees have Nolan Arenado, Randy? That's right. Nolan escaped. Trevor's yeah. his boy. They've yeah. had combos. They've been they've been they at, talked at the, they were at the All-Star, All-Star game. game. Yeah, yeah they come said, on. Hey, we got some T-Ravs. We got some gooey butter cake. Come on down to okay. St. Louis. Yeah. I like it. I He's appreciate like, you guys' optimism. <laughs> He's like, it's not just paradise. It's baseball heaven. Boom. Okay. All right. Roasted. There you go. Okay. So, Trevor Story, the bulletin, apparently official. Again, one-year deal for 15 mil, and then you throw another 15 mil at Max Scherzer for one year. Randy, we've got this team in the World Series, and we've only spent $30 million. Figured it all out. Brilliant. Smallman and Ferrario back at it again. <laughs> Love it. All right. Uh, have a great show. We'll be tuned Thanks, in. Thanks, RK. Appreciate it. That's Alex Ferrario, and he will be with BK coming up. Great job by our producer-engineer, Emily Butcher. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, Michelle and I are going to go see uh, Kurt and Brenda this afternoon. That's right. A little interview with Kurt and Brenda Warner. And we will have that for you tomorrow morning here on 101 ESPN. For all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. 
Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face -face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.